going here Saturday, high noon here in San Diego, California. It is July 3rd, 2021. Hope you guys are having a great week. It is BK here, of course. Please follow me on social media. Check out that Instagram, at BK Actual, and follow my Twitter for breaking news throughout the week, at Bravo Kilo Actual. Of course, it is an Independence Day weekend in the greatest country in the history of the planet. And it's not close, you guys. I mean, for God's sakes, I can't get over the libs, of course, this weekend shitting all over America. And I will have some great audio clips of that for you later. Uh, One quick note also. I put out on both Twitter and Instagram that I was conducting an interview with Stars and Stripes about wokeness in the military, and we had a wide-ranging discussion. And uh, that should be up probably sometime over the weekend, and I'll be sure to link to that on both of those. And uh, to counter me, of course, they're going to have a bunch of woke vets on there as well, so that should be pretty amusing. So uh, you guys can look forward to that. But why don't we go ahead and get into our news here and let us begin with the big story as far as i'm concerned of the week the united states is leaving its last afghanistan base bagram air base once the military's nerve center in afghanistan was handed over to the afghans after nearly 20 years of waging war from that base and yes american troops and their western allies have departed bagram air force base And this does effectively end major U.S. military operations in Afghanistan after 20 years of war. The final withdrawal was overnight on Thursday, occurred with little fanfare, no public ceremony. And this all comes at a time when Afghan forces are uh, basically fighting for their life to hold on to this country. As I predicted uh, months ago, I'm sure uh, it's going to be a Taliban country, basically at the rate they're going. You guys have been listening to the podcast. You know that the Taliban have just been surrounding base after base as they close in on the capital of Kabul, oftentimes without firing a shot, demanding that the uh, army abandon the base and hand it over, and many times they do. Uh, So the quiet takeoff from the base is weeks before that planned withdrawal of American troops in mid-July and months ahead of President Joe Biden's announced September 11th departure. And yes, at the same time, Sleepy Joe is sending mixed messages to the Afghan government because, you know, he's sending a message to the United States public that the longest foreign war in U.S. history is ending. And he's sending another message to the Afghan government that the that the, the United States is not abandoning the country in the middle of a Taliban offensive. And supposedly we're going to retain some ability to conduct airstrikes if need be. Again, remember that there will always be somewhat of a force in Afghanistan as long as we have a diplomatic presence there in the capital of Kabul. Uh, But I can easily visualize a scenario where they will have to evacuate that embassy if Things get bad enough. I mean, the fear that Kabul could fall to the Taliban relatively soon is like the cloud hanging over the administration. Uh, But Biden so far is holding fast and saying, no, he's not going to reverse this withdrawal, even as all over social media, you see many of the usual suspects, all the warmongering warmongering neocons uh, demanding that Biden reverse this tragedy. Because, you know, 20 years wasn't enough. If we only had 40 years, 
then we'd really be on track for this nonsense. Uh, Bagram has been operating at full capacity until the end on Thursday. They've had fighter jets, carlo plane, cargo planes, etc., uh, basically taking off uh, over and over. So now air support for the Afghan forces and overhead surveillance or ISR will be flown from in uh, will be flown in from outside the country from various bases in Qatar or the United Arab Emirates or from an aircraft carrier. Uh, again, they will keep a contingent of 650 troops to protect the American embassy in Kabul. Uh, how long that's going to continue? Pretty unclear. And will 650 troops standing around a stationary base be enough to repel an Afghanistan uh, a Taliban full-on court press? Uh, very doubtful. So some U.S. intelligence estimates are predicting that the Afghan government could fall to the Taliban in from six months to two years after the Americans complete their withdrawal. Again, the Taliban are inching closer to Kabul, and they have taken about a quarter of the country's districts in the past two months. Um, again, hundreds of members of the Afghan security forces have surrendered in recent weeks. They're Counterattacks, those by the Afghan security forces, have failed to take back much territory, if any, from the Taliban. And now, as the Afghan government forces kind of fall apart and surrender, we have these regional militias popping up to fight their own little sporadic battles against the Taliban. And that's kind of what also happened in the civil war in Afghanistan in the 1990s. So... Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy as far as Bagram, you know, Bagram airfield was built in the 1950s by the Soviet union. It was a vital military hub during the Soviets 10 year occupation of Afghanistan. And then the Soviets withdrew in 1989. And that's when the Taliban and what was known as the Northern Alliance fought for that base. So the U S when we invaded Afghanistan in 2001, Bagram was basically just a, a mess. It was just rubble, right? And uh, so by 2011, though, at the height of the American War, the airbase had turned into a small city. They had two runways, tens of thousands of occupants, all the shops, and you guys remember all that shit, and a U.S. military prison that became notorious. And the base was also violently attacked over the years, often by Taliban rockets and mortars, but sometimes by other means. For example, in November of 2016, a suicide bomber snuck onto Bagram Air Base, and that blast killed four Americans. And yes, in 2014, as the U.S. concluded its first official drawdown, Bagram began to shrink. And uh, so right now, the Taliban is enjoying this. On Friday, Zabahullah Mujahid, a Taliban spokesman, called the departure from Bagram, quote, a positive step, end quote. And that's a spot-on impression of what he sounds like. Uh, so, yes, through September, they say uh, Rear Admiral Peter Vasselli, a former member of SEAL Team 6, actually, will be in charge of the security mission at the U.S. Embassy. He will report to General Kenneth McKenzie, who is the current head of military's CENTCOM, Central Command, and also through September, General McKenzie will be authorized to keep about 300 additional troops in Afghanistan if needed for security. So that's kind of what's going on. In the meantime, 
right on cue, basically almost as soon as the fucking last plane took off, Bagram started getting ransacked by looters, which you would expect. The looters stole laptops, gas canisters. I mean, this was all like just like almost immediately. They were taking like scrap metal. And uh, you can expect this base to pretty much get fucking picked clean within a matter of the next few weeks. Uh, so again, Joe Biden said he um, is not abandoning Afghanistan. Well, you know what? We, we, we kind of are. And you know, it's uh, you guys know my stance. Long, long been on the record of saying you're never going to change shit over there. And they have to figure it out for themselves. You are going to decide what country you want to be. And whoever has the most guns wins, I suppose. And the security situation continues to decay. Now, uh, just finally to wrap up Afghanistan, uh, the House of Representatives in the United States has passed a bill to speed visas for Afghans imperiled for aiding the United States. Now, this legislation would scrap a requirement that these Afghans applying for this special visa undergo a medical examination in the country, which and they would allow it to do so in the United States. So I have mixed feelings about this, and I'm probably the only person who will even say this out loud because everybody's supposed to be like, yes, yes, bring them all over here. But we're, we're talking like I've seen the number of 100,000 people run about. Obviously, those are not all military-aged males. But we're still talking like tens of thousands of military-aged males that everybody's insisting we bring over here. And I'm like, um, I don't know. Shouldn't we have these men fight for their country? I, I don't know. Is that gauche of me to say, to even suggest it? I mean, we, it just appears that if you really want some kind of change, don't you want to leave behind these guys who fucking we've influenced over the past decades? And we're talking at least as far as just the worker guys who work for us, we're talking more than 18,000 men who have worked for the U.S., it could, I'm sure there's a few women in there. I shouldn't say men, but assume it's almost all men. 18,000 interpreters, drivers, engineers, security guards, embassy clerks. I mean, you think Afghanistan could use maybe some engineers and some drivers and some security? I'm just saying. This measure passed 366 to 46 in the House vote. Uh, so yes, I know they, and I'm not being heartless here. I'm trying to look at both sides of this. I know that they are in danger, but I mean, 18,000 men, that's like a fucking army. So, uh, let's see anything else about the Afghan bills. Uh, a separate bill introduced by the house would expand the universe of eligible Afghans by removing what its proponents call burdensome application requirements, including a credible sworn statement of a specific threat or in proof of a sensitive and trusted job. Instead, it would in effect stipulate that any Afghan who helped the U.S. government by definition faced retribution. So anybody, if you brought fucking a bag of rice onto the base, you helped the U.S. government and you should be able to apply for a visa. Dude, that, that could be hundreds of thousands of people. So I'm just saying that's a we, we should th think about that. Uh, why don't we move on though? That's Afghanistan. I, you know, mixed feelings. I'm sure a lot of you guys have mixed feelings, but 
you know, I was in Afghanistan. I know a lot of you guys listening right now have been in Afghanistan. I mean, how do you feel? Do you think it was ever going to change? Uh, and you know, you had, we had, we had our comrades lost over there and for what, for what at the end of the day, it's worse than it's ever been. The Taliban now have more territory than they ever friggin' had before we even got there. So what the hell was the point? And they're just going to have to figure it out. That's it. All right, let us move on to another conflict zone. I'm probably the only guy talking about this one. And this was the Tigray region in the Ethiopia region. And as you guys know, they've been going through this war over there. And thousands, thousands of Ethiopian prisoners of war were paraded through the regional capital of Tigray yesterday, Friday, as crowds lined the street to jeer the captives and cheer the Tigrayan forces who only days earlier had routed one of Africa's most powerful armies. The swift defeat of those Ethiopian forces was a stunning reversal in a civil war that has led to the displacement of nearly 2 million people in that region. And there's all kinds of reports about war crimes, sexual violence, everything else. Now, this parade of prisoners served as a rebuke to Ethiopia's Prime Minister, Abiy Ahmed, who had proclaimed in a speech on Tuesday in the national capital of Addis Ababa that reports of his troops' defeat were a lie. He said he had declared a unilateral ceasefire. Uh, indeed, Abi had actually declared victory last year, only about a month after he initiated that military operation in Tigray in November. But the fighting continued. So now, this column of defeated Ethiopian soldiers marched for, for four days and they were flanked by all the Tigrayan fighters. And they flooded the streets of the Tigrayan capital of Mekel. And they were taken to a large prison on the northern end of the city. So just to recap, nearly eight months ago, Abi had sent his forces to Mekel, the city, to take power away from the region's leaders, declaring that the move was necessary because the Tigrayans had held local elections without permission from the federal government. Remember, Tigray, the Tigray region is part of Ethiopia. And the Tigrayan army had tried to capture an Ethiopian military base. So now the Tigrayan leaders are back in the city of Mikkel and they're reoccupying their former offices. So the leader of the ruling party is a guy named Debretsion Gebra Michael, and he is the leader of the ruling party, which is known as the Tigray People's Liberation Front. He said that his fighters captured more than 6,000 Ethiopian soldiers. That is freaking nuts, dude. The UN said at least 350,000 people in this region had entered a state of famine. Uh, by the way, this Tigray region is bordered by Eritrea to the north and Sudan to the west. Um, so yeah, anything else about this, uh, the actual fighting? I'm just curious about this. Because again, this uh, Ethiopian army is considered like uh, one of the b biggest ones in Africa. And 
they just got their asses handed to them. So pretty wild. And, and again, a, a stunning defeat for the Ethiopian army. Let us stay in Africa and let us talk about Eswatini. Have you ever freaking heard of Eswatini in your life? Of course you haven't. And I haven't either. Again, I'm no genius. We learn about all of this together, which is why I enjoy the podcast. Uh, Eswatini used to be known as Swaziland. You might have heard of that. I have heard of that one. Well, Swaziland became independent in 1968, and then I guess they changed their name to uh, Eswatini. It has been ruled by kings since their 1968 independence, and apparently they like to uh, live high on the hog. Uh, King Maswati III of Eswatini, he is Africa's last absolute monarch, and his grip on the nation's limited economic resources uh, basically has allowed him to live this lavish lifestyle of luxury cars, palaces, and his children, oh, how about this, his children flaunt their opulent birthday parties on social media. Meanwhile, about six out of ten citizens live in poverty. Uh, so where is this place? Well, it's a landlocked nation. It's wedged between South Africa and Mozambique. And so you have this contrast of these citizens who are like, you know, basically on the brink of starving to death and this fucking king and his bratty kids on, on the gram showing off all their money. Uh, there is 1.1 million inhabitants of Eswatini. And now they have descended into the most explosive civil unrest in, in their 53 years of independence. And we have thousands of protesters taking to the streets in the executive capital, which is Mabant. <laughs> Mababane and other places. Uh, many of them are burning and looting businesses in which the king holds stake. And now the government is responding aggressively. They have witnesses and activists reporting that the military and the cops have fired live rounds at protesters and looters, and hospitals are being overwhelmed with an influx of gunshot victims. Meanwhile, gas and food are in short supply across the country. As supply trucks idle at the border, unable to enter the country amid the unrest. And, of course, there have been the internet blackouts. Again, we've seen that be a common tactic around these uh, autocratic countries in the last couple of years. Uh, so, yeah, they want the king to step down. And uh, the people are tired of this absolute monarchy. You know, the king here some of his power, he chooses the country's prime minister and cabinet, and he also has the power to dissolve the parliament if he <laughs> wants to. So, yes, indeed, bad times over there. Uh, let me see. The acting prime minister is a guy named Themba Masuku. In a statement released this week, again, he serves at the pleasure of King Maswati III. He stressed the importance of rooting out all violence and vandalism. So things did appear to calm down on late Friday as the military started taking control of this. But uh, I will keep an eye on this one for you. I want to see more. Is there anything more about their kids on the gram? <laughs> Even in Africa, they're doing this crap. 
No, not really. So, okay, so there you go, guys. There's an update for you. You now know more about Eswatini than 99.8% of uh, Americans, so congratulations. Let us go to Mexico. How about this? The top court of Mexico has decriminalized recreational use of marijuana. How about that? They called the current prohibition unconstitutional. This was an 8-3 to decision. The court ruled that adults would be able to apply for permits to cultivate and consume their own cannabis. However, smoking cannabis in public and in front of children remains banned. The ruling did not mention the commercialization of cannabis. The decision came after a legalization bill stalled in Congress. Uh, Mexico United Against Crime, a non-governmental organization, said the decision, quote, does not decriminalize the activities necessary to carry out consumption, end quote, which means possession, transportation, etc. Now, Mexico's lower house, like us, they have the two-house system. They approved a bill legalizing the recreational use of cannabis in March, but it still needs final approval by the Senate. Now, that legislation would let users with a permit carry up to 28 grams of cannabis and grow as many as eight plants at home for personal use. At present, it is illegal to carry more than five grams. Supporters of this legalization hope it could reduce some of the violence related to illegal drugs trade, which, of course, in Mexico claims the lives of thousands of people every year. Do you think the cartels, are they really murdering like and cutting people's heads off over weed? I suppose they are, maybe somewhat. I, I would just imagine that that's just kind of a small minority of you know all the killings but i don't know i, I they haven't they have not separated the, mur- the the cartel murders out by drug trade all right what else oh how about china china has celebrated 100 years of communism in the country yeah that's right so now they have a wave of nationalistic music theater and dance sweeping china as they uh, celebrate all this shit. You probably saw some of it on social media. And the celebrations are part of efforts by Xi Jinping, China's authoritarian leader, to make the party more omnipresent in people's lives. And plus, he wants to get the backing of uh, all the artists, you know, political backing. Uh, Xi, who has presided over a broad crackdown on free expression in China since coming to power nearly a decade ago, has said that artists should serve the cause of socialism rather than become slaves of the market. So now, in honor of the Communist Party's centennial, Xi's government has announced plans for performances of 300 operas, plays, musical compositions, and other works. The list includes classics like The White-Haired Girl. What is that? That is a Mao-era opera about a young peasant woman whose family is persecuted by a cruel landlord. There are also other productions, like one called Red Boat, which chronicles the party's first Congress in 1921 on a boat outside Shanghai. That was, obviously, 100 years ago. And this comes amid rising nationalism in China. It's basically just like shitloads of propaganda. And propaganda art does have a long history history 
in China, some of the country's most celebrated works emerged during periods of intense political control, including the decade of bloody upheaval in the 1960s and 1970s known as the Cultural Revolution. During that time, classical music was attacked as decadent and bourgeois, and many Western composers and instruments were banned. Yes, so she appears eager to remind the public of the glory days of the Chicoms. And, uh, yeah, they think they're going to fucking be something in the next decade. And who could blame them while we run around uh, thinking about all this woke nonsense? Uh, China's getting after it and being aggressive all over the world. Uh, Staying in China, interesting side note, the World Health Organization, the WHO, has declared China free of malaria this week after a seven-decade campaign against the disease, which has killed hundreds of thousands of people in the country. This is considered a major milestone. Again, China is the world's most populous nation. Uh, They are, China is, the first country in the WHO Western Pacific region to be awarded a malaria-free certification in more than three decades. The only other countries in the region that have eradicated malaria are Australia, Brunei, and Singapore, according to The Who. Uh, Let me see. Anything else about this? More and more countries are becoming free of malaria, a blood disease which is contracted through the bite of an infected mosquito. Forty countries and territories on the planet have now eradicated the disease. Now, Africa still carries a disproportionately high share of the global malaria burden. In 2019, Africa was home to 94% of malaria cases and deaths. In 2019, the estimated number of deaths worldwide from malaria, ready for this number? How about 409,000? Most of the victims were children. Now, Chinese officials, according to them, have tried to share their lessons encountering malaria with the African continent. They've held uh, various symposiums. In the 1950s, China grappled with as many as 30 million malaria cases a year with a mortality rate of 1%. The problem was so dire that Mao Zedong set up a secret military project called Project 523 to find a solution for it. It was through that project that a Chinese scientist named Tu Yu Yu discovered artemisinin, the core compound of the most effective anti-malarial drug today. Dr. Tu was later awarded a Nobel Prize in 2015 for that. Uh, so, yes. By the end of 1990, the number of malaria cases in China had plummeted to 117,000 and deaths had been reduced by 95%. So that uh, is good news for China. Okay, let's bring it back to the United States because this was a hoot that was happening earlier today. 11 men have been arrested in an armed roadside standoff in Massachusetts. This was great. <laughs> this is like some kind of militia. And the funny part about this was uh, I, went, I, was, uh, I was on Twitter and I was scanning all the, uh, the woke journalists and woke vets and, and immediately they're like, these damn white men. Well, not so fast. Turns out that this group of armed men in tactical gear 
claimed to be part of a Moorish American group. That's right. They are all people of color. But according to Massachusetts State Police at about 1.30 in the morning today, Saturday, a state trooper stopped to check on two vehicles that had pulled over in the emergency breakdown lane of Route 95 in Wakefield, Massachusetts. The men were refilling their gas tanks with their own fuel, and they appeared to be wearing military tactical gear and carrying weapons. So, the state police said when the group failed to provide ID and firearm licenses as requested, the troop called for backup, and the standoff eventually moved to the wood line without any shots being fired. And then finally, around 10.15 a.m., the police arrested nine of the men involved. Two suspects were taken in earlier at approximately 8 a.m. All men surrendered without incident, and a number of firearms were seized. So who is this group? Well, the men involved in the standoff say they are part of a group called Rise of the Moors, M-O-O-R-S. They describe themselves as, quote, Moorish Americans dedicated to educating new Moors and influencing our elders, end quote. Uh, The state police said that their self-professed leader wanted very much known their ideology is not anti-government. He said the group was making its way from Rhode Island to Maine for training. Can you imagine if this was a group of white guys? Because now the story is already like going away. I know it's like hardly, it's not even trending on Twitter anymore. (laughs) The journalists were so disappointed that these were not those evil whitey men. That's for sure. Uh, So I have a few clips here. Oh, also before I play the clips, another member of the group shouted from the background, quote, we are foreign nationals, end quote. Now, according to those uh, whack jobs at the Southern Poverty Law Center, a Moorish sovereign citizen movement emerged in the early 1990s. It is an offshoot of the anti-government sovereign citizens movement, which believes that individual citizens hold sovereignty over and are independent of the authority of federal and state governments. So, like I said, I have a clip here. And this is one of the, and they're all dressed in like, you know, camo and they got their fucking kit on and all that stuff. And, uh, just a fucking tip guys might want to make sure the gas tanks are full when you're on your way to like, go do whatever you do. I'm just saying, (laughs) you know, that's like probably fucking right up there with making sure your weapons are cleaned, uh, making sure your kits squared away, making sure the fucking vehicles have enough gas in them before you, you know, get to your place. I'm just saying, point it out. Might want to look into that. Okay, so here's an armed, uniformed man speaking with uh, the state police negotiators. And this was during the standoff on um, Route 95. So let me uh, hear what this guy sounds like as I play this. It's, right it's, it's, it's disrespectful to our current armed servicemen and women. And, and the fact that you're allowing the media to portray us as, as anti-government after I expressed to you multiple times when I'm anti-government. It's, it's, it's violating my trust with you guys. So I'm just informing you, we're not going to escalate anything any further. We're not going to, we're, we're, we're going to continue to not point our, our arms at you because that's, that's not what we're here for. That's not what we plan to do today. Uh, we're, we're, we're not going to uh, threaten you guys. We're not going to uh, coerce you guys. We're not going to make you guys feel threatened in any type of way. Uh, we're not going to um, uh, do any shady movements or anything like that to make you guys feel threatened. We're not going to do anything like that. So at most, what's going to happen is we're going to get so fatigued to the point where it's 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 easier for you to violate us because we're going to be so weak from not eating and, and drinking 
that you're just going to be able to arrest us. That's that's really what's going to happen. And you're probably going to have to bring me out on on a stretch on a stretcher. So please have paramedics ready, <laughs> uh, because I'm already fatigued. Already, bro? How you? You've only been out there a couple hours. He's talking on the cell phone to the uh, Minneapolis state cops. He's on like speakerphone, so you kind of that's what you kind of hear in the background. Oh, by the way, this is also being live streamed on Instagram at the time. He was just arrested on camera. Okay, let me stop this one here. I got I got like one other one. I think. Do I have it? Um, okay, here's another one. And this is the guy. This this is the same guy speaking. And he did identify himself as named Jam Jamal Talib Abdullah Bay. And again, he was on YouTube live streaming all this on a YouTube channel called Rise of the Moors. Let's uh, hear from this we one. We are uh, on Interstate 95 in Massachusetts near uh, exit 57, mile marker 57.4. Uh, they specified in the news that we're anti-government, but we're not. We're not anti-government. We're not anti-police. We're not sovereign citizens. We're not black identity extremists. Uh, has specified multiple times to the police that uh, we're abiding by the peaceful journey laws of the United States uh, federal courts. So just look up uh, Title 18 of the United States Code, subsection 926 Alpha or 925 Alpha, if I'm not mistaken, as well as the decision of the United States Supreme Court, Young versus Harris, which specifies that merely carrying an arm, or it says, uh, you know, being in the possession of a of a gun per se constitutes no offense. So we haven't violated any any laws. Eh, not uh, the police <laughs> seen us on the side of the road with our guns secured. Uh, we were afraid, so we got out with our arms. And uh, I have body camera that's been recording the whole time. Uh, excuse me. Reassure, uh, reassured them multiple times that we're abiding by the federal laws as well as the ju judicial opinions of. Uh, the United States Supreme Court and things like that, uh, but they keep portraying us as as uh, being anti-government, but but we're not anti-government at all. Uh, so please share this video out. Again, this is uh, we're near Wakefield, Massachusetts, uh, going north on I-95 near Exit 57. All right, I'll stop them right there. You heard him. They're not anti-government. They say. I don't know the gun laws in Massachusetts. Uh, I know Massachusetts is a big lefty state. So I'm just saying, uh, I, I, I know you're citing Supreme Court stuff, but if your guns aren't like registered in your name and they're not complete, you better make sure them shits are legal. Because yes, they can roll you up for illegal weapons. Um, I, again, I don't know what the, the gun laws are, but if you guys are going to do this shit, you better be sure that your weapons and all that and are like squared away to the T. As far as the law is concerned, because otherwise they can just fuck you. All right, let's move on back to another story here from our international news desk. I have many desks. And uh, 43 immigrants, migrants, whatever you want to call them, have drowned after their boat sank off of Tunisia. The migrants had set off from the Libyan port of Zuwara and were attempting to cross the Mediterranean to reach Europe. And a further 84 were rescued by the Tunisian Navy. Uh, this summer weather has seen an increase in migrants trying to reach Europe from North Africa. This boat set sail on Monday night and it was carrying people from Egypt, Sudan, Eritrea, and Bangladesh. Well, the vessel 
capsized after its engine broke down. Uh, those rescued were aged between 3 and 40 years old. Uh, Libya has been a key transit point for migrants from many countries trying to reach Europe via the Mediterranean. And Tunisia has also become a major hub. And Tunisia has called on the European Union to deal with migration by helping fight poverty in Africa. <laughs> Isn't that convenient? Hey, you know how you can help us? Is give us lots of money. Okay. They just can't seem to get it together. All right, guys. How about something a little fun? Yep, this was all over the news. Doctors have reported what has been called the first documented case of a vertical penis fracture. That's right. This was published in a British medical journal on June 10th, but it's just now hitting mainstream media. And it details how a 40-year-old man injured his penis during sex. And the report's authors say that the man sustained the injury when his penis, quote, buckled, end quote, against his partner's perineum, which is, of course, the area between the anus and the genitals. Now, the report notes that penile fractures, and penile fractures do happen, but they usually occur when there is an excessive bending of the penis, which leads to an increase in internal pressures. This can result in a tear. Now, the vast majority of these injuries occurred during sex, with the case report citing one study that found that the doggy style and man-on-top positions were the two main causes. But a penis fracture is not a fracture per se, because there are no bones, obviously, in a penis. But a penis fracture usually refers to a tear along the tunica albuginea, which is a sheath that wraps together the three main tubes inside the penis. Those tubes are the corpora cavernosa, which fill with blood during an erection, and the urethra, which acts as a channel for both urine and semen. <sighs> Usually when men report a penis fracture, they tend to describe a popping sensation, loss of erection, and significant swelling and bruising. However, in the case of the man whose penis fractured vertically, Doctors said he reported no popping sensation, only a gradual loss of erection, and only moderate swelling. Hmm. Now, this is a first because all other studies documenting penis fractures found they all described fractures as being transverse, not vertical. So they are monitoring the patient's recovery to compare to other documented cases. So, very good. They say the patient is already able to achieve an erection. <laughs> That's funny. So does he go in the hospital for that? Does he go in for a follow-up and they're like, hey, go ahead and uh, fucking uh, jack it for us and uh, we'll see how hard you get. Like, how? Like, who determines that? I'm just curious. Or is that is, is it self-reported that the doctors need to see it? I'm just, uh, I'm just putting... See, the, the, the media is too delicate to answer all the questions that I would like answered. All right. A couple more international stories, you guys. Uh, the South African court has ordered the arrest of ex-president Jacob Zuma for contempt. Zuma was a comrade of Nelson Mandela and a dominant figure for decades in the governing African National Congress Party, the ANC. They want him 
imprisoned for 15 months on contempt charges after he defied an order to appear before a corruption inquiry examining the huge financial scandals that tainted his tenure as the country's leader from 2009 to 2018. So many across the country are hailing the ruling as a victory for this democracy, uh, a message that nobody, not even a former state, is uh, above the law. So, yes, supporters of Zuma, who has a big following, are urging resistance. So uh, it might it's, it's it's far from clear if he will show up. He was ordered to report to a police station within five days to begin serving his detention. If he does not report by that time, the court ordered the police must detain him. Hmm. Yeah. He, Zuma, had been ordered five months ago to appear before this court inquiry or risk being held in contempt. Well, Zuma said, F you. Not only did he fail to show up, he also ignored the high court's contempt proceedings. He didn't even mount a defense. Instead, he wrote a 21-page letter to the chief justice, blasting the court as biased against him and accusing it of engaging in, a oh, great phrase, political chicanery. Right. Uh, what did they say? Like, well, what he did exactly? Uh, he was forced to step down as president in 2018 after losing a internal ANC battle against current president, who is Cyril Ramaphosa. And uh, South Africa has a huge problem with looting of public enterprise by government officials, and the whole country is basically going to shit. So this has caused a split within the African National Congress because uh, Ramaphosa and Zuma are both members of it. So, you know, this is uh, pretty crazy. Starting in 2018, his corruption inquiry did Zuma's come after a report detailing the extent of it in these state-owned companies and government departments during his administration. So he's being prosecuted beyond this contempt charge on charges of racketeering, corruption, fraud, money laundering, etc., etc. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping for like an, a huge armed standoff and like a, and just chaos. I would love to see that happening. I don't know if you guys saw this on social media. Did you see the landslide in Japan? This was nuts. I was gonna, I meant to put it on my Instagram. I never got around to it. But at least 19 people were missing. On Saturday, today, their time, after heavy rainfall caused a mudslide that washed away homes and covered roads and debris in a resort town about 60 miles southwest of Tokyo. This town is called uh, Atami. It's a coastal town. And they said they are looking for these 19 people, and about 2,800 homes in Atami had lost power. Atami is a town of about 35,000 people known for its natural hot springs, and they had warned residents to protect themselves after 12.4 inches of rain fell in a 48-hour period. That is 30% more than the area's average rainfall for the entire month of July. And uh, yeah, on uh, social media, you can see this just like giant, rapidly moving landslide just like sweeping down through this town. Like if you were standing in front, you would be like killed instantly. That's how fast it was moving, so... We'll watch that one. Let's go over to Austria. 
Austrian authorities have arrested three Afghans as suspects in the rape and killing of a 13-year-old girl. Uh, this is a shocking crime over in Austria. This has prompted strong condemnation and tough talk from Austria's leader on crimes committed by migrants. Her body was found next to a tree in a Vienna district, and two Afghan youths aged 16 and 18 were arrested. Both were asylum seekers. Yes, that's right. And there was a third guy. Oh, the uh, no, the 18-year-old had his protected status revoked as a result of three convictions that included one for robbery. So he had already had his status revoked even before this rape. And then they arrested a third man who was also Afghan. He was 23 on suspicion of involvement in this. Oh, God. Listen to this shit. Officials have said that the victim knew the first two suspects and had voluntarily accompanied them to the 18-year-old's apartment. There, according to the Vienna police chief, she was giving she was given drugs and, quote, crimes against the sexual integrity, end quote, of the girl were committed. Oh, man. Chancellor Sebastian Kurz promised on Tuesday that authorities will ensure the perpetrators are punished with the full force of the law. Kurz said, quote, I find it intolerable for people to come to us, say they are seeking protection, and then commit cruel, barbaric crimes in Austria. End quote. And he sounds exactly like that. Uh, Kurz has taken a long, uh, tough approach to migration issue, and he said, quote, with me, there will definitely never be a halt to deportations to Afghanistan, end quote. Well, we'll see. Yeah, that's what happens. What else? Let's move on. Let's go to... Well, let me mention this briefly. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld is dead at 88 years old. The defense secretary during the... Iraq War. He did serve four presidents, and he was the Secretary of Defense for uh, Gerald Ford and George W. Bush, and he presided over America's Cold War strategies in the 1970s, and then the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. He did die this week at his home in Taos, New Mexico. The cause was multiple myeloma. Rumsfeld had the distinction of being the only defense chief ever to serve two non-consecutive terms, 1975 to 1977 under President Ford, and then 2001 to 2006 under President Bush. He was also both the youngest defense secretary at 43 years old and the oldest when he redid it at 74 years old. And he was a staunch ally of former Vice President Dick Cheney. If you guys, by the side note, did you guys see that movie Vice? About Dick Cheney, yeah, where Steve Carell plays Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> it's a great movie, man. Check it out. So uh, he was widely regarded in his second tour with Bush as the most powerful defense secretary since Robert McNamara during the uh, Vietnam War. So, uh, yeah, he uh, he stood by his actions in Iraq. And you know, I know a lot of people have mixed feelings about him. And uh, he, you know, he won over the media with his, like, you know, he's kind of funny and charming with the media while he's talking about, like, war and killing people. So it's, uh, he was definitely a singular figure in American politics. What else? Let's go to Sweden. 
Hundreds of businesses around the world, including one of Sweden's largest grocery chains, are grappling today with potential cybersecurity vulnerabilities after a software provider that provides services to more than 40,000 organizations called Kaseya said it had been a victim of a sophisticated cyber attack. They are thinking this attack might have been carried out by Revil, R-E-V-I-L, which is a Russian cyber criminal group that the FBI said was behind the hacking of that JBS meat processor back in May. So in Sweden, the grocery retailer Coop was forced to close at least 800 stores on Saturday today. Uh, And yeah, they've been hit by this huge... um, IT disturbance, and they also said a Swedish railway and a major pharmacy chain had also been affected by the Kaseya attack. Wow. Yeah. That, uh, this is like kind of a uh, trickle-down effect because they, they actually hacked the managed service provider which handled the small businesses, if that makes sense. There is no word yet on a ransom as it is pretty much ongoing. All right, let's talk about some Supreme Court action. There's hot, sexy Supreme Court action this week. First of all, on Thursday, the uh, the the woke media was absolutely losing their shit because the Supreme Court on Thursday did give states new latitude to impose restrictions on voting using a ruling in a case from Arizona to signal that challenges to laws being passed by Republican legislators that make it harder for minority groups to vote would face a hostile reception from a majority of the justices. The vote was 6-3. to The decision was among the most consequential in decades on voting rights, and it was the first time the court had considered how a crucial part of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 applies to restrictions that have a particular impact on people of color. The six conservative justices in the majority concluded that the relevant part of the Voting Rights Act can be used to strike down voting restrictions only when they impose substantial and disproportionate burdens on minority voters, effectively blocking their ability to cast a ballot. This is a standard that suggests that the Supreme Court would not be inclined to overturn many of the measures Republicans have pursued or approved around the country. You know, honestly, this is fucking nonsense. Like, It's not fucking hard to vote. I'm so tired of the hysteria about every little thing. If a state wants to go through their voter rolls and get rid of all the people who've been dead for years, that they freak out. It's not hard to vote. If you think it's hard to vote, you're a freaking dummy, dude. You are. You're dumb. I've never had a single problem. Voting is easier than it's ever been. I don't even want you voting if you can't figure If it's that hard for you, you're a freaking idiot, dude. And you shouldn't be voting anyway. It's not hard to vote. It's just like such gaslighting, these morons on TV acting like this is like Jim Crow. It's like, just stop. Talk about insulting to people of color. You're basically implying like, oh, you you dummies don't know. You, you, dumb, you dummies need to have, every, have somebody hold your hand through voting is basically what they're saying. It's ridiculous. Um, anything else in here? It's kind of, I know it's a little eye glazing you guys, honestly, but, uh, the hysterical reaction was a bit outsized. Now, a couple other notable court cases. 
They also ruled on Thursday that California may not require charities soliciting contributions in the state to report the identities of their major donors. Yes, the vote again was 6-3, to again with the predictable three libs in dissent. They did reject the state's requirement, saying it violated the First Amendment's protection of the freedom of association. Uh, So... Yes, this disclosure requirement that California had was challenged by Americans for Prosperity Foundation's conservative group. And the disputed measure required charities to file with the state a copy of their IRS Form 990, including its Schedule B, which identifies their major donors. And a federal trial judge in California had blocked the requirement. And... He rejected the state's argument that California used these forms to investigate charitable misconduct, but the judge said these investigations or audits based on forms were very rare, and if you needed that information, you could be you could obtain it in other ways, notably by using a subpoena. Uh, so yeah, and and they're like basically like, look, you know, this is uh, opening up people up who want to donate to charities to perhaps harassment, like say you want to donate to. Uh, California Gun Owners Association, right? You, you, and you're and you're a big time, deep pocketed person. Maybe you have a public profile. Maybe you're like an actor who's secretly conservative, and, and then they find out that you donated some right wing cause, and they fucking end up harassing you day and night. So that's why they're saying like, hey, you know, this is uh, some sometimes this is important. Now, many many donors have no qualms about their donation being made public, but some do. Indeed, uh, Justice uh, Sonia Sotomayor actually wrote, uh, it is always, quote, it is always possible that an organization is inherently controversial or for an apparent innocuous organization to explode into controversy, end quote. Now, she went on to say, uh, we just, that, that only means we have to make sure confidentiality is sound, but it's uh, kind of stupid. Okay, what else is this? And there's even more Supreme Court because uh, two of the justices are saying that the Supreme Court should reconsider a landmark libel decision. And this was New York Times versus Sullivan. This is a landmark 1964 ruling interpreting the First Amendment. Again, guys, I know it's a little eye glazing, but this is important. It's a First Amendment. You guys know I'm a big First Amendment guy. And this would make it hard for public officials to prevail in libel suits. And this was, the two justices were Justice Clarence Thomas and Justice Neil Gorsuch. And they made their comments and dissents from the court's decision not to take up uh, a libel case brought by the son of a former prime minister of Albania. Now, these justices are saying the modern news media landscape does play a role in their thinking about the actual malice doctrine announced in the Sullivan case. That malice doctrine, that required a public official suing for libel to prove that the offending statements were made with the knowledge that they were false or with serious subjective doubt about their truth. That is a stricter standard than is applied to cases brought by ordinary people. And that doctrine was expanded in later court rulings to cover public figures, not just public officials. But um, Justice Thomas denounced the explosion of conspiracy theories and other disinformation and uh, pointed out how online posts can 
falsely label people as thief, fraudsters, pedophiles, etc., etc. So he said, quote, the proliferation of falsehoods is and always has been a serious matter. Instead of continuing to insulate those who perpetuate lies from traditional remedies like libel suits, we should give them only the protection the First Amendment requires, end quote. And Gorsuch said, hey, a lot of shit's changed since 1964. This actual malice doctrine might have made more sense when there are fewer and more reliable sources of news. But now we've got 24-hour cable news and online media platforms that monetize anything that garners clicks. So uh, this was, again, this was in a case, uh, Berisha, these, these comments were in a case of Berisha versus Lawson, brought by Shekelzen Berisha, son of Albania's former prime minister. He had sued the author and publisher of Arms and Dudes, how three stoners from Miami Beach became the most unlikely gun runners in history. That is a 2015 book that examined weapons procurement and was the basis of that movie War Dogs. Remember that one with Jonah Hill? I never saw it, but... He said that that book falsely linked him to an illicit arms deal. So pretty fascinating. And then uh, also a couple more. Supreme Court turns down an appeal in a clash between the florist and that gay couple. The justices let stand a gay couple's victory against a florist who said her religious beliefs did not allow her to create floral arrangements for same-sex weddings. You know, this is fucking unbelievable. The move left open a question a court last considered in 2018 when they had a similar dispute involving a Colorado baker and a gay couple. They did not give a reason for declining to hear the case. This was Arlene's Flowers versus Washington, and this all started in 2013. Can you imagine these fucking gay fucks? Real, you pers- you're, they pursued this case for eight years. Because of what? Because there's only one fucking florist in town? Absolutely. So these guys are obviously had an agenda. I have zero sympathy. They seem like a couple of fucking assholes. I don't care if they're gay or not. Really? Eight years? You're going to pursue some poor fucking woman who runs a floral shop and she doesn't feel like participating in your shit? So what? And by the way, how is it possible that a, when there, there are literally in that one city, there's probably, what, dozens of florists? So you have a right to serve everybody who walks through the door, regardless of whether you agree with them or not, right? But how is it possible we have that and then we have Twitter who can kick anybody off their platform they want? Don't I? Do you see how those things don't fucking make sense? How is it that a baker, of which there are literally dozens in a, in a, in a city, how is it possible that he is forced to decorate and use his artistic ability for something he disagrees with that goes against his sincerely held religious beliefs? How is that possible, but it's okay for Twitter to kick whoever they want off their platform or Facebook to kick whoever they want off their platform? Don't I have a right to that? There's only one Facebook. There's only one Twitter. There's only one Instagram. You see what I'm saying here? How can both of those things be true at the same time? Somebody explain that to me like I'm dumb. I know I have some lawyer listeners. Uh, And then uh, also the Supreme Court rejected the request to lift the federal ban on evictions. The uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention had put a moratorium on conv- on evictions in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Well, the Supreme Court refused to lift a moratorium on that. The, the vote was 5 to 4. So that moratorium will stand. And there is your Supreme Court update. Now, how about this? 
The Oakland police chief is absolutely pissed off after Oakland has slashed law enforcement funding amid a crime surge. This is insane. He spoke out on Monday against city leaders after they voted to divert nearly $20 million from law enforcement amid that spike in crime. Uh, They voted 6-2 to to remove $18.5 million from a proposed increase to the Oakland Police Department's budget. So the law enforcement body will have $674 million to spend compared to $665 million the previous year because it was, uh, you know, they they basically cut the increase, which is common. So Oakland has seen 65 reported homicides so far in 2021, equating to a 90% increase when compared to numbers from 2020. Shootings have risen 70%. Carjackings are up 88%. And the city has been hit with 1,300 robberies so far in 2021. That is an 11% increase. And, uh... Yeah, they are uh, not happy about this at all. So now Chief Laron Armstrong is speaking out about it, and I actually do have a clip of him talking about it. So this is uh, Chief Laron talking about the city council vote that would cut away, and let's uh, hear from the chief here. Saturday night, I went out to a scene of a young man that lost his life. And a lady yelled out the window, do something about it. I'll start off today by saying uh, that I'm challenged by uh, the decisions that were made on Thursday around uh, the budget for the city of Oakland, particularly for the Oakland Police Department. But today we find ourselves in a crisis. We find ourselves reeling from a weekend of violence where we've seen four homicides over a three-day period. It now has us currently at 65 homicides for the year. It's a 90% increase compared to last year. Our shootings are up over 70% this year. Our robberies are up 11% this year. It's been 1,300 robberies in this city already this year. Our carjackings are up nearly 88%. So we see clearly that crime is out of control in the city of Oakland, and our response was for less police resources. I want to address a comment that was made by one of our city leaders during these budget meetings. It was referred to as a bump in the road, a speed bump, that we would go through a period where there would be speed bumps, and there would be challenges, uh, and things may not go right. Uh, But we would be okay. Well, for me, those speed bumps are 65 lives so far this year. Victims who have suffered at the hands of violence, whether it's shootings, robberies, carjackings, sexual assaults, all of these crimes are not speed bumps. Amen. These are people. Far too often in these meetings, we are talking about numbers, we are talking about money and cost. I don't know what the cost of a life is, but I know not having resources makes our city less safe. All right, and he goes on from there. Very well said, of course, and uh, he's actually spot on with that. And But this is what they want. This is what the people vote for. You know, it's hard for me to... Uh, 
It's hard for me to like really say anything about it. Like this is what you voted for in the city of Oakland. All right. What else? How about this? A chef has died after falling into a vat of boiling chicken soup in Iraq. Hmm. <laughs> Issa Ismail was helping prepare a wedding banquet at a wedding hall in Zako, Iraq. Uh, this was on June 15th, and it was according to uh, Gulf News. While stirring the soup that was in a large pot on the floor, the 25-year-old chef reportedly slipped and he fell into the food. After tumbling to the floor, the father of three was rushed to a hospital in Dehuk, about 40 miles away, to receive treatment for severe burns. They spent several days trying to save his life, but he died as a result of third-degree burns across 70% of his body. God damn. Yeah, they said this 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 is a huge pot of soup, obviously, big enough for a grown man to fall into, and it was placed on the floor of the kitchen when this freak accident occurred. Man, brutal. He was the father of two daughters and a six-month-old son. Uh, how about this one? Here's a headline for you. Cop caught in prostitution sting claimed he had his penis out to make prostitutes, quote, feel comfortable, end quote. According to the vice officer. Uh, vice officer Todd Evans said um, on the latest episode of a podcast called Cop Tales that, uh, yeah, he, uh, he often would bust, uh, do these prostitution stings. And, yeah, he uh, decided to set up an uh, undercover sting. Because a prostitute named Cinnamon reported to him that an officer in his own unit was sleeping with hookers. So we just they decided they were going to set this up. So uh, the uh, officer in question was introduced to our undercover police officer, went into a hotel room with her. And their arrest team then went down there and took him into custody. And he recalled that the officer tried to pass off the entire episode as a giant misunderstanding. He told this vice cop, hey, man, I know these girls are on the street. I'm just trying to help them out. And the vice cop said, but you sat down on the bed and pulled out your penis. <laughs> That's when he came up with the line. I was just trying to make these prostitutes feel comfortable, you know, because after all, they're used to having guys sit around penises out, I suppose. Uh, very good. All right. What else? Let's go to the border. Do an update for you. United States border arrests have topped 1 million people in fiscal year 2021 with uh, some time to go so far. That's right. At the current pace, the total border arrests for the fiscal year, which does end on September 30th, would be the highest since the year 2000. In that year, nearly 1.7 million migrants were apprehended by U.S. authorities. And now Republicans, rightfully so, blame Biden's policies for the upsurge in illegal border crossings in recent months. I love this next sentence. But migration experts say poverty, violence, and food insecurity are factors driving migrants to leave Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Well, yeah, no shit. No shit. Poverty. Yeah, because Joe Biden said we're going to give you a bunch of stuff and not deport you. That's why. Again, 172,000 migrant arrests on the southwestern border in May, on par with 20-year highs from March and April. They expect similar figures 
in June. And here's one. Here's a new one. Here's a new fucking atrocity that Biden's going to do with the border. He now wants to bring back people already deported by Trump. Do you believe this fucking guy? <laughs> Uh, they are working on a plan for an organized review of thousands of cases of people who said they were unjustly deported. There's no just about it. Either you have a right to be here or you don't. This isn't really that hard to understand. You know? I love their defense. It's always like, well, I'm, I'm just here working. I'm not committing any crime. Yeah, but you're not supposed to. You were never invited, nor were you wanted, nor were you allowed to be. That's it. Just like every other country in the world, I have to keep stressing that. No country, every country in the world has immigration controls, every single one of them. And they, unlike us, they often enforce them. Uh, the officials, now, now notice the officials say that now in the Biden administration, they say that many of those deportations under Trump, they don't say that they were illegal, they say they were unduly harsh. See? They won't say they're illegal because, of course, they were not illegal. Legal scholars, God, they always have to quote some fucking pencil neck in these articles at Politico. Legal scholars said a process that resulted in returns of significant numbers of deported people would be highly unusual in American immigration law. Yeah, no shit. Undoing deportations have generally required arduous legal battles in very exceptional cases, and returns have been infrequent. This, how much fucking money are we going to spend on this? Guys, last week I went through all the soft amnesties that Biden's going through, the U-Visa abortion, the freaking fake asylum claim thing, the, the, um, the uh, undoing of the migrant protection protocols that'll that forced migrants to wait in Mexico until their asylum cases was heard. They're undoing all of that. And now this is probably the worst one of all. It's ridiculous. Um they had 900,000 formal deportations under Trump. But guess what? Initially, they said only a couple thousand of more than of more than the 900,000 people will be reversed. But eventually, if the review system is effective, many more people could apply. Of course they're going to once they see that. And who's paying for the plane ticket for them to get back? This is idiotic, dude. Yep, it never ends. Hey, this is what you guys voted for, though. Now, was one bit of good news. Speaking of the Supreme Court... They did say also this week the government can indefinitely detain certain immigrants who fear persecution in their home countries if they were deported and then illegally re-entered the United States. Again, the three libs predictably voted against it. It was six to three. And they said that immigrants who illegally re-entered the U.S. after being deported have no right to a court hearing on whether they should be released while their claims are being considered by the government. And yes, they said, uh, yeah, this involves people who had been previously deported and then arrested again, crossing back over illegally. So I don't know what to tell you. We fucking got rid of, we told you no, and now you're defying us and coming back. Very little sympathy for that. And they, and they talk about one guy here. He says, uh, 
Where is it? Oh, I closed out the tab. Let me open it back. Here, one man is a citizen of El Salvador who said he was immediately threatened by a gang after being deported from the U.S. Okay, first of all, as we've gone over, asylum does not apply to local crime. Just because you're threatened with a gang doesn't mean you get asylum. Second of all, last I fucking checked, there's like a thousand miles or more of Mexican territory between El Salvador and the United States. I'm tired of this argument that you won't be safe until you get into the magic dirt of America. You could go to Mexico. That's hundreds of miles away from El Salvador, if not more, if not a thousand. Oh, but you're still not safe. Get out of here. Or, hey, I, or there's a huge continent down south, and they all speak Spanish. Just saying. Why not go to Argentina? Why not go to Belize? Why not go to fucking any number of countries in South America? Peru. They all speak Spanish. This is all just, and guys, just remember the, the bottom line, the Biden administration, they obviously want this to continue. That's why they're doing all this. The more immigrants they get, the more future voters they get. It's not fucking complicated. And um, just to refresh your memory, well, here, let me play this clip first. Here is some ICE agents and a sheriff saying Biden is preventing the arrest and deportation of dangerous, criminal, illegal immigrants. All this, this happening as we learn that five Texas sheriffs as well as some ICE officers are now suing the Biden administration, accusing Biden of not upholding federal law by not allowing ICE to arrest or deport criminal illegals. Uh, according to that lawsuit, ICE agents right now only averaging one arrest every two months. They actually cited a specific incident incident where Biden's policies actually stopped ICE from taking custody of a man who had been previously deported and also had a conviction for sexual battery of a child. He was arrested by a local sheriff's department. The shit. sheriff's out here very upset by this. They say Biden's policies enticing illegals to come here. Take a listen to what the Brooks County or the Kinney County Sheriff had to say. Recently we had to release one from, from our, our detention center. He was an illegal. Oh, well, okay. Thanks for that. <laughs> Why would you cut the video off right there? I want to hear from the sheriff. Sorry, guys. This is, you know, this is what happened. This is the perils of recording live. And remember how I was making fun of all the root causes the argument? Like, oh, we must understand the root causes. Well, remember the primary two years ago? Here's Biden talking. Let's listen Raise to your hand if, gover if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. Yeah, they all raised their hand. Every single one of them. Every single fucking Democrat on that stage during the primaries raised their hand. And you wonder about the root causes. Yep, that's right. And then, of course, they also vowed to, on the same debate stage, vowed to decriminalize illegal border crossings. Remember this? And asylum seekers. We had a very spirited debate on this stage last night on the topic of decriminalization of the border. If you'd be so kind, raise your hand if you think it should be a civil offense rather than a crime to cross a border without documentation. <laughs> can we keep the hands up so we can see them? Yeah. Uh, no. Let's remember, that's not just a theoretical exercise. Oh, shut up. Okay, almost, and that, that time almost all of them did. I didn't recognize the guy who uh, did, and I forgot about him. And then finally, let's end the border with Trump because <laughs> he, went, he went to down to the border for some reason. And, uh, and here he is talking about Sleepy Joe. Uh, we made deals with Mexico, and we made deals with Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador. And I told the story just before. I don't want to bore you with it, but most of you weren't around that roundtable. And uh, by the way, Brandon, I see my Brandon. How good is Brandon Border Patrol? 
And Mark, thank you very much. And Tom, there's Tom, Tom Holman. He's central casting. If I'm doing a movie and I want to get a tough guy to play something, I'm going to pick Tom Holman. I said, you guys better be there and your whole group. Thank you all for being here. We appreciate it. Really fantastic. I mean, just a fantastic <laughs> job. You know, I say, all Biden had to do is go to the beach. If he would have just done nothing, we would have now the strongest border we've ever had. It was even getting better and better and better because it was all kicking in. I mean, you know what? Hey, he's it, whether he, he's a big dumb oaf, he was good on the border. He it was. You can fucking disagree with him all you want. You can't deny that he's good on the border. And he's right. If Biden, Biden basically, he just undid everything he did, and now we have the fucking highest number of illegal aliens in decades. So there you go. God, I miss... Don't you miss Trump's hyperbole? Oh, he's fantastic. He's the best thing I've ever seen. Nobody's ever seen a Border Patrol like this guy, I tell you. Fucking great. All right, let's move on to the cause. Bill Cosby has been released from prison. This was... This was great. Now, of course, it's funny how like all his defenders are trying to be like, see, he's an innocent man. No, that's not what happened. This was basically a uh, technicality. But the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did throw out his 2018 convictions on charges of drugging and sexually assaulting Andrea Constant in the year 2004 when she worked for Temple University. Cosby served three years in prison. So why did they overturn this conviction? Because prosecutors did violate Cosby's rights, according to the court, by reneging on an apparent promise not to charge him. So in 2005, the then district attorney in Montgomery County, PA, named Bruce Castor Jr., issued a news release saying that he had declined to charge Cosby over the matter in question. Cosby then sat for depositions in a separate lawsuit filed against him by Constand, which he paid her $3.38 million to settle in 2006. But then a subsequent district attorney reversed Castor's decision and charged the entertainer with assaulting Constand after all. Now, in that trial, in the criminal trial, prosecutors then used what Cosby had said in the deposition. That is his admission that in decades past he had given quaaludes to women in an effort to have sex with them, and the prosecutors did use that in evidence against him. But he made those statements under the promise of non-prosecution. And the justice in the Supreme Court said, when a prosecutor makes a promise of non-prosecution and when the defendant relies upon that guarantee to the detriment of his constitutional right not to testify, the principle of fundamental fairness that undergirds due process of law in our criminal justice system demands that the promise be enforced. So, why did Castor, the first DA, say he would not charge Cosby? Well, he announced in 05 that Cosby would not be charged in an effort to prevent him from invoking his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, so then he would have to testify in Constance's coming civil case. So, the Supreme Court said Castor made a binding promise. Now, there was no formal written non-prosecution agreement, just a news release, and Constance and her lawyers are saying they were not told of any promise or deal. So 
Now there was a legal dispute over whether Castor had in fact offered a binding promise that Cosby would never be charged, and if he did, whether he had the authority to do so. Uh, So Castor said, yes, I made that pledge. The trial judge disagreed and ruled that the criminal case brought by the new DA could proceed, but then the Supreme Court backed Castor's interpretation of what he had done and threw out the whole fucking thing. So, obviously, this does not mean that Cosby did not commit a crime against Constant. It just means that he can't be prosecuted for it. So, will he face a new trial? No, not for assaulting Constant. And they said he must be discharged. And and as far as all the other women, because remember, there's like 60 women or something, they were all pretty much outside the statute of limitations. And Constant was like the newest one in 04, and it just barely made the statute of limitations when they did the trial. I remember it was like, like literally like weeks away from the statute of limitations kicking in when they filed that case. Uh, so they can appeal it, but I don't think they're going to because it's pretty fucking clear. I mean, if, if even the DA is saying, yeah, I made the agreement, then what there's really not a lot of gray area. So again, pretty uh, interesting, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you made the agreement and the guys like trust that agreement to then testify in a civil deposition so the victim can at least get some money, well, you made the agreement, you know, so. Okay, what else do I have here? Just go on here. All right. Uh, I'm listening. Let me see this headline. Um, man charged with animal cruelty over alleged sex act with a horse. Oh, come on. Come on, guys. Horses are very high on the animal hierarchy. I don't like it. Leave the horses alone. Come on. Oh, this is, you know what this is an update of? This is, <laughs> this is an update of the, uh, this is an update of the dude I did the other week who was banging the horse while the owner fucking was able to watch it live on the surveillance camera. That's right. Remember this was in Colorado at the La Plata County Fairgrounds. They did make an arrest. They arrested Jonah Barrett Lesko, 26 years old, fucking 26 and you're fucking a horse. Congratulations on that. He was arrested on June 28th for the crime which occurred on June 17th and, again, heavily covered on the pod. I I believe that was the big finish a few weeks back, if I'm I'm remembering correctly. So, yes, police did receive reports of a man having sexual intercourse with a horse. (laughs) He was caught by the horse's caretaker, who saw him commit the act live via the surveillance camera inside the horse's stall. Uh, They also confiscated from him, the police did, several burglary tools, including a grinder and bolt cutters. He claimed that those were used to make knives and swords. Oh, here we go. Police also received tips from the public that Barrett Lesko had bragged about the act to other people at a campsite for the homeless. There you go. There you go, Colorado. It's not enough that you have the hobo camp. Now your hobos are breaking into your horse stalls and fucking your horses. Are you going to do anything about it now, libs of Colorado? Or are you still going to feel really bad for the vagrants? Get out of here. Oh, even better. Barrett Lesko told police that during interviews that he only committed the act due to drug use and relationship issues. (laughs) Oh, no. No, he did not say this. 
he also claimed that the horse had given him indications, quote, that it was interested in participating in sexual activity, end quote. Oh, what was that? What is that indication? Uh, is the horse sitting here, like, pawing at the ground, like, <laughs> as he's entering the horse? Oh, come on! Guys, stop! I know for a fact around stalls there are, like, chickens, uh, stuff like that, roosters. Bang the chickens, okay? Bang all the chickens you want. There's probably a barn cat. You can bang the cat as well. Leave the horses alone. And the horse did not consent. That was, that was non-consensual horse sex. I mean, I'm no feline, I'm no K, uh, equine, sorry, I'm no equine expert, but I'm just going to go out on a freaking limb and say the horse did not consent to your sexual activity. God, what a world we live in. And that's not even the big finish, you guys. I got something you're not going to, well, you, it might sound familiar. I'll just, there's your teaser. Uh, speaking of the homeless, Sacramento, California is now mulling a new homeless strategy. What is that strategy? It's called legally mandating housing. You believe this shit? The mayor of Sacramento this week announced a plan to legally obligate California's capital city to house its growing homeless population. If passed by the city council, the measure would be the first of its kind nationally and would impose a legally enforceable municipal mandate to deal with the humanitarian crisis as spread as California. And this is here's the nonsense. As the state's median home value has soared and rents have exploded. See, they always blame the inability to pay rent. They never fucking blame the mental illness and the drug use. I just fucking told you the vagrant who was high on drugs banging a horse. You think you think the the rent going up a hundred bucks is what led him to be homeless? No. They always say that it drives me insane. Oh well, houses are expensive. That's why you have the woman in the alley shrieking to herself while she smokes her meth. Yeah, that's what it was. The high rent. That's what drove her to that. Idiotic. And it won't help anyway. And what? And, and again, the activists really believe, you guys, at least here in California, they really believe that the vagrants have a right, not just to a home, but a home of their choosing where they choose. So if they want to live on the beach, they demand that you house the vagrant in an apartment at the beach. Meanwhile, I'm busting my ass here every week bringing you guys two and a half hours of news straight through, no breaks, no editing, jacked, tan, the steel trap mind in full effect. It's not easy. It's a lot of work, but I do it every week. And I'm working hard for you guys so I can afford this beach life. And the fact that some guy thinks he's entitled to a beachfront apartment is nauseating to me. But yeah, they're saying right to housing. So it could be difficult to enforce in California. And this is also, they want a mandate to require the homeless to accept the housing. That's the other part. Because you have, to, you have to have some teeth to that. You have to be like, listen, here's a small, tiny house or whatever. If you don't take it, you're going to jail. That's what you have to do. 
And uh, yeah, the laws severely restrict civil commitments and forced treatment for mental illness here in California. And that's what you have to do. You, that, that, in the end, that's going to be the only thing to work. If you, you got to change that law, period. I think I have another homeless story later, but I don't have it in front of me. So let's go on. Uh, how about this? The Mayo Clinic is facing lawsuits by three female patients who claim a 28-year-old male surgical rep, uh, resident viewed nude photographs of them in their medical files. They claim 28-year-old Ahmad Al-Sugayr of Saginaw, Michigan, is uh, he's now facing criminal charges after apparently viewing hundreds of nude photographs and electronic medical records. Oh, what a creep, dude. He viewed the records of 1,614 patients. Dude, that is fucking nuts. Uh, he is scheduled to have his first court appearance in early July. Like, do you really want to see, like, nude photographs of, like, who are being photographed, presumably because they have some kind of medical problem and they're, they're hospital for? I mean, I, I really doubt they're in, like, some sexy pose. <laughs> I mean, they're probably half in a hospital gown showing. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just absurd. Um... One of the lawsuits alleges that the Mayo Clinic failed to use a feature in its electronic health records that would have limited access to highly sensitive medical records and prevented this breach. Uh, so, yes. Uh, I'm just scrolling down here. Anything else about this? Mayo Clinic said that on August 5th of last year, it confirmed suspicious access to medical records. And they said that an unnamed employee had inappropriately accessed files with names, demographic information, date of birth, medical record number, clinical notes, and in some instances, yes, images. I wonder how they caught him. So they, they must have some kind of um, software that shows like every access to it. I mean, uh, wouldn't that be the only way? Or, or maybe they got it on surveillance. I'm not sure. All right. What else? How about this one? A 30-year-old woman crashed her car into a tree while performing sex acts with an underage boy that she worked with. Hmm, juicy. Kimberly Lankford Carnahan, 30 years old. Wow, she's 30? Oof. That's a rough, rough 30 years old. She was booked in the Sutter, California, Sutter County Jail, this is in California, on charges of sexual intercourse with a minor, oral copulation with the threat of retaliation. And threatening a witness. Uh, this started when deputies received a report from a mother saying that her underage son had admitted to having a sexual relationship with his adult co-worker, which was Kimberly Langford Carnahan. And when detectives interviewed the victim, he allegedly told them about a recent incident in which he and Carnahan had crashed into a tree because they were engaged in a sex act while the woman was driving. They did find unspecified evidence corroborating the boy's account, leading to her arrest. <laughs> was he filming it? Oh, God. Tons of you guys sent this one to me. Texas father shoots a peeping Tom after catching him performing a sex act outside of his 10-year-old daughter's window. Oh, boy. Yeah, you better be careful doing this shit in Texas. The husband and wife, who have remained anonymous, heard their daughter scream from her room at 10 p.m. on Sunday after she saw a man lurking outside. So the couple are licensed gun owners, and they walked out with their guns. 
The father ordered the man to lie down in the yard until police arrived, but he did not comply and fled across the street to a gas station. There, the girl's mother held him at gunpoint as the father headed into the gas station. Um, but the suspect then started fighting the mom for her gun, and he did disarm her and pointed it back in her direction. Come on, ladies. The husband then ran outside and fired at the man out of fear for the safety of his wife. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, not, they don't really go into the sex act. I'm assuming he was jacking it. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I'm reading between the lines here. All right, guys, quick COVID update. Uh, we do have a little bit of an uptick in cases. The 14-day change in cases is up 17%, with a total reported case count in the United States 33,679,536. However, deaths are down 24% on the 14-day change. And total reported deaths in the United States, 604,700. Uh, reports of new cases are kind of holding steady at around 12,000 per day. And for the first time since March 2020, the country is averaging fewer than 300 coronavirus deaths each day. Uh, meanwhile, the media is obsessed with the highly infectious, scary Delta variant. And the vaccination drive is sputtering. Less than half the country is fully vaccinated. However, more than half the country has at least one shot. But we have ample supply here. And uh, they are administering fewer than a million doses most days. And again, you know what? Again, I'll say like what I did. What I, I'll say the same thing I said last week, which is, you know, I'm vaccinated, so I really don't care if you are or not. Now you're just, you know, you're taking your chance, and hey, that's your right. Uh, so uh, let's see live updates. You know, they're having a big soccer tournament for the the Euro Championship final, and now they're afraid uh, of a big COVID spread with the scary Delta variant, and uh, they're protesting in Rio. Um. They uh, basically say that there is rage over a vaccine kickback scandal in Brazil, and this has drawn tens of thousands of people to the streets today, Saturday, in a third round of dem demonstrations in recent weeks against the government of President Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, so this is, involves a vaccine corruption scheme. Bolsonaro is under scrutiny in a deal to secure 20 million doses of a vaccine that has not yet completed clinical trials or been approved by regulators. And they're saying uh, maybe he got a little check for uh, overlooking some irregularities in the deal. Six rescue workers have tested positive for coronavirus at that Florida condo collapse site. They were all part of the same task force. They've been taken off the work there. Uh, the six emergency workers were firefighters from Florida, but they were not from Miami-Dade. Travel and White House gatherings are back in a big way, of course, for the Independence Day weekend. About 48 million Americans are expected to travel over July 1st to July 5th. That is a 40% jump over last year. Of those, a record 43.6 million are predicted to travel by car. And another 3.5 million are expected to fly. And United Airlines says that more than 2 million passengers have booked flights between July 1st and 6th. That is five times the number that flew during the same weekend last year. 
And uh, anything else? Uh, I'm just scrolling through here. Yeah, the Delta variant. I'm sick of hearing about the Delta variant whenever. Uh, let's see. A report published in the journal Nature Medicine has found that the pandemic has reversed a steady rise in life expectancy in Brazil, which has seen an estimated decline of 1.3 years of life expectancy in the year 2020. By the way, Brazil has reported more than 520,000 deaths from the virus. North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un said that missteps in the country's public health efforts had caused a great crisis with significant national security implications, but is unclear whether the statement amounted to an admission of a serious outbreak or not. It was very vague, you know. But experts do think that this acknowledgement could pave the way for North Korea to accept international assistance to fight the virus crisis, including vaccines. And a June jobs report showed that employers added 850,000 workers in June. That is the largest monthly gain since last August. So there is your coronavirus update. A couple quick Olympic stories. Uh, let's start with Shakari Richardson. She is a gold medal favorite sprinter in the women's 100 meters. She has tested positive for marijuana and been suspended for a month. This puts a doubt into her appearance at the Tokyo Olympics. She's 21 years old. She won the women's 100-meter race at the U.S. track and field trials in Oregon last month, but her positive test automatically invalidated her result. And the United States Anti-Doping Agency said that she had accepted a suspension of one month starting on June 8th. That could clear her in time to run in the 4x100-meter relay that takes place later in the games if she is named to the team. Uh, she said she used marijuana to cope with the unexpected death of her biological mother while she was in Oregon. This is fucking stupid, dude. This is not like, how is this a performance enhancing drug? Uh, now there's, now there's a couple things. It's stupid. Yes. But is this the, is this a rule that says, Hey, if you test positive for marijuana, then you're going to be suspended. Is, is that a rule? I don't know. Because if it is a rule, I mean, you got to play the game, right? Is it a stupid rule? Fucking absolutely. So, uh, very dumb. And the positive test erased her Olympic trials performance in the women's 100. So she can't run in the event at all. Yeah. Let me see. Oh, here we go. Marijuana is on the World Anti-Doping Agency's list of prohibited substances. Well, I, you know... It's this fucking stupid rule, but it's a rule, and until it's you gotta you gotta play the game. Um, marijuana is banned only during in competition periods, which are defined as beginning at eleven fifty nine p.m. on the day before a competition, and ending at its conclusion. Athletes may have up to one hundred and fifty nanograms per milliliter of THC without causing a positive test. Now, according to the USADA, that anti-doping agency, marijuana is a prohibited substance because it can enhance performance. They also say it's prohibited because it poses a health risk to athletes and its use violates the spirit of the sport. Hmm. Hmm. A suspension for testing positive for marijuana can be up to two years. The minimum length is a month. So she got the bare minimum. 
Yeah. It's too bad. But uh it's I yeah, it's a shitty rule, dude, but you know, welcome to the welcome to the real world, you know. Talk you know, people want to become cops, contractors, military. We all have to do that same stupid rule, and we can't smoke weed either. So I don't know what to tell you. And as far as the other fucking Olympian, that Gwen Berry chick, the one who got in third place, she's the uh, hammer thrower chick. You guys have all seen the memes by now. She was the one who fucking turned her back on the anthem or something stupid like that. She is African-American. Well, guess what? She got milkshake ducked. That's right. You guys know what the milkshake duck is. Milkshake duck is a, like a kind of a slang for a person who suddenly finds themselves in the news and then people start combing through their old tweets and stuff and, and social media posts and find all kinds of problematic statements. Yeah, she, she got milkshake ducked. She is 32, and this is Gwen Berry. Her history of offensive tweets has been uncovered after she snubbed the American National Anthem during Olympic trials last weekend. She has insisted that the National Anthem is racist, but she posted tweets mocking Chinese, Mexican, and white people. Hmm. Remember, she turned her back, and then towards the end of the anthem, she picked up a black t-shirt with the words, Activist Athlete. And it's funny, too, because somebody also brought up a picture on her own website of her holding up the American flag proudly. Uh, let's see. Here's some of her problematic tweets. Quote, I'm about to rape my lunch. End quote. Uh, here's another one. Quote, shout out to all the females that's gone get drunk, get wrecked by four dudes, then cry rape this weekend. End quote. Uh, another one, quote, Mexicans just don't care about people, end quote. Uh, another one, quote, just saw this girl wearing heels with white socks. What the hell? Hashtag Chinese people always trying to start new trends. SMH, girl, end quote. <laughs> oh, uh, here's another one, quote, white people are so retarded when they are drunk, end quote. Uh, another one about white people. Quote, this little white boy being bad as hell. I would smack his ass, then stomp him. SMH, hashtag white people kids, hella disrespectful, end quote. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. Oh, Gwenberry. Well, and you know what the sad thing is? She got in fucking third place and she's getting all the attention. And I, I, I read something about like the first place chick like broke like a female record and, and nobody cares. They only care about this fucking clown. All right. Let's keep going. Police chief has retired after he was caught on camera leaving a Ku Klux Klan note on a black officer's desk. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that better be like your fucking best friend in the world. And apparently, it was not his friend at all. Sheffield Lake, Ohio, police chief Anthony Campo, 61, resigned. He was caught on video placing a note saying Ku Klux Klan on a raincoat laid out to resemble a KKK robe and hat on a black police officer's desk. An idiot, dude. He, Campo, dismissed the incident as a prank and, quote, police station antics, end quote. Yeah, you know, I'm all about that if you're, like I said, if it's like your bro. And clearly he was not your bro at all because he fucking was not too happy about it. 
When he uh, apparently the the uh, video surveillance showed the officer entering the room, and he saw the display, and then he looks in the direction of Campo's office. Video then shows the two talking briefly. The officer removes the note from the coat, but then puts it back when two of his colleagues, both white, arrive at the office. Hmm. Uh, I don't know about that. Like, did they? Maybe, maybe he just wanted to show, like, dude, look how fucked up this is. So the the video doesn't have any audio. So, yeah. Campo said uh, he had great respect for the officer in question and was actually the one who hired him. So the town mayor uh, wasn't trying to hear it. A man is decapitated by a train while sitting on the tracks at a New York subway station. Yeah, a man was decapitated here. Uh, He was struck by a northbound number six train and died at the scene. (sighs) Jesus. He was sitting on the tracks? Yeah, his man's body remained on the elevated tracks while his head fell down off the tracks and landed on a sidewalk. It must have been just some crazy guy on drugs. Don't sit on train tracks. I mean, how fucking dumb are you? Okay, let's go. Well, let's go to this one, you guys. I mean, we have to do this one. Let's talk about a few transgender stories here. First of all, we had a transgender woman win the Miss Nevada USA title for the first time. So, yeah, men are beating women on all fronts. That's right. Now we're taking your titles in fucking Miss USA. Cataluna Enriquez was crowned the winner of Miss Nevada USA. She is a transgender woman, 27 years old. She beat 21 other candidates to com- to represent Nevada in the Miss USA pageant. She is the she will be the first openly transgender woman to compete in the Miss USA. <laughs> Oh, guess what? Shockingly, Enriquez said she was a subject of a sexual abuse as a younger person. No fucking way. That's every single time I see a trans trans person interviewed, they always reference sexual abuse that took place when they were very young. I'm are the two connected? I don't know. Of course, our useless media will never look into that. Uh, meanwhile, in uh, to continue this theme, they in Ohio, wanted to propose an amendment to add a bill banning biological males from female sports team. So while she was proposing this amendment, you hear Ohio Democrats screaming at her, uh, basically, for uh, even even doing this. Let's listen to a little bit. With amendment 1594. The chair has the amendment. The amendment appears to be in order. The representative may proceed. Wonderful. The Save Women's Sports Act is a fairness issue for women to be able to achieve their dreams and athletics in our state. And it's crucial to preserving women's rights and the integrity of women's and girls' sports. Across our country, female athletes are currently losing scholarships, opportunities, medals, education, and training opportunities. This amendment will require schools that are part of the OHSAA to designate separate teams for participants of the biological sex. No school interscholastic conference or organization that regulates interscholastics shall permit biological males to participate on athletic team or an athletic competition designated only for biological female participants. 
Can you imagine? You imagine one of the guys was this old white guy named Representative Michael Skindell. He was the guy like really banging his shoe. Imagine getting that fucking worked up about that. Uh, and then also in further training, I talked to you guys the other week about the uh, VA's plans to offer gender reassignment surgery. Oh, I'm sorry, gender confirmation surgery. Uh, by the way, we talked about that extensively on the Stars and Stripes interview. Uh, a group of GOP lawmakers is pushing back. This is what I hate, though. You know, they don't hold a press conference. They just write a letter. They sent a letter to VA Secretary Dennis McDonough. Nobody gives a fuck about your letter. You got to fucking stand up and say how fucked up it is while we have combat veterans wounded in war waiting for care that they're going to start offering what is, I don't care what the experts say, elective surgery. You know why it's elective surgery? Because if the transgender veteran can't get it, guess what happens? Nothing. Not a goddamn thing. Their condition doesn't worsen. They don't get more sick. They don't die. Nothing. Therefore, it's elective surgery. And yes, I also agree, unless it's involved directly in a combat incident, no, women should not get breast implants through the VA, and men should not get Viagra through the VA. Again, unless they were directly involved in some kind of accident or uh, combat incident, which affected their breasts or genitals, respectively, of course. I'm talking about just run-of-the-mill. So I'm tired of hearing that stupid argument about the Viagra. Yes, you're right. They shouldn't give Viagra to patients who uh, just need it because they want it. In addition, they should not be giving these elective surgeries while we have combat veterans wounded in war waiting for years to get their claims taken care of and to get the health care they need. That, I, don't, I stood up and said that on the Stars and Stripes interview. I will say that proudly, and I think and suspect that many of... Uh, regular trans people think the same thing that uh, it's not the same. It's not, it's not appropriate. And especially this is taxpayer money. We're talking about here. I've said many times in the past, I don't think you as a trans person, trans person should have those kinds of surgeries, you know, just be a woman or call, do whatever. Okay. I don't think you should, in my opinion, because I think you might regret it one day, but if you're going to, this is America, use your own goddamn money and you do what you need to do. But the fact that uh, the Veterans Affairs Office is now going to do it, the Veterans Affairs Hospital is going to do this at taxpayer expense while we have combat veterans waiting years for care, unacceptable. And for the GOP, oh, we're going to write a letter. Fuck you, dude. You got to stand up and make a stink. You got to go on TV. You got to hold a press conference. Get some fucking balls, dude. Tired of these cowards. And speaking of that, there was a big protest going on up in L.A. today. You probably saw it on social media. Antifa fighting again. This was at the Wee Spa in Los Angeles. And they're protesting because of an incident that went viral. A woman confronted the staff at Wee Spa in L.A. after a man walked into the women's section of the spa with his genitals hanging out in front of young girls. But he identified as a woman and the employees said he had a right to do so. They said it's the law. Let us roll the clip. So you don't. So it's okay. I just want to be clear with you. It's okay. It's okay for a man to go into the women's section, show his penis around the other women, young little girls under age. Your spa, we spa, condone that. Is that what you're saying? Like I ask. It's so he so he can stay there. He can stay there. 
What sexual orientation? I see a dick. It lets me know he's a man. He he's a man. He is a man. He is not no female. He is not a female. He is not a female. Hold on. He is not a female, sweetie. Okay. Girls down there, other women who are highly offended for what they just saw, and you did nothing, absolutely nothing. In fact, you sided with him. So we spa is an agreement with men that just say they are a woman and they can go down there with their penis and get into the women's section. Is that what you're saying? What? What? Really? What law? What law? So women can go into the men's with their breasts. Okay. Yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't come back either. Yeah, get your money back. You got a man with his penis talking about he's a woman. He ain't no woman. Uh huh. Yeah, give her her money back. There's no such thing as transgender. He has a dick. Okay. He has a penis. He has penis is hanging out. Okay, no, I'm not one. Actually, I'm a woman who knows how to stand up. Here's a, here's a woke male ally coming woman, in. I have a right to feel comfortable without a man exposing himself. Okay, no, you go somewhere else. Okay, so that's right. No, he's not a transgender. He has a penis, just like. Okay, th so this uh, says there's a part two to this. Some fucking dork comes up, a, a white guy, of course. And he's like, you know, you're just being transphobic. This is, this is inappropriate. He says he's a woman. He's a woman. He's like trying to be one of these dopes. Uh, here's uh, some more of the clip. Let's continue. Are you? Are you? Are you? Are you? So I understand. No. Yeah. Okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. Okay. That's traumatizing to see that. I'm a woman. I think this is a place right here. I'm told only for women. So how dare you sit up here and tell me I don't have a right as a woman to defend? I'm telling you, he has a penis. A full intestine, okay? And I don't care what it's called. It's a man. You got one? You're a man. Okay. And if we went into the men's section with our anatomy, that would be... Well, it wouldn't probably, but you might not like women, so it might not, okay? And we don't know, but for me and for a lot of other women, they do not feel comfortable, and it's not okay. Okay? So, well, I, yeah, yeah, you're sorry. You should be, sweetie, and you're out of alignment, and this is not right. I can tell you that much, all right? And I know you're out of work. Yeah, it must be hard. It must be hard not being a real man, huh? Try it. All right. Oh, man, this chick, I love this chick. Good for her. I mean, that takes... It takes courage in this day and age. I cannot fucking get over the fucking dude coming up and involving himself. Oh, well, but it's transgender. But shut up. Fucking jerk. All right. Wow, that was exciting. Okay, uh, let's keep going. God, guys, I'm running out of time. I got to play a few clips because it's 4th of July weekend. Of course, Independence Day weekend, as I prefer to say. And of course, predictably, we have the uh, the uh, big libs who hate uh, America, and they think that America is the worst country in the world. These are these are people who've obviously never been outside of America and been in, like, say, a refugee camp in Myanmar or a fucking uh, shitty slum in Baghdad or anything like that. They don't know how good they have it. But uh, here's one uh, bitching about uh, how America's the worst. Let's listen. To oh, hi. Uh, due to America being a hot steaming pile of garbage continuously i will not be celebrating fourth of july or thanksgiving now or ever yeah okay well fuck you you can you can go don't let the door hit you in the ass sweetheart 
And uh, here's another one uh, saying the American flag and Independence Day itself is racist. Of course it is. Everybody knows that. With this country that like all this 4th of July decorations doesn't sit well with me because we're at a point where the American flag on any piece of anything hanging from your house on your shirt, hanging from your fucking car on a sticker on your car, whatever, it looks racist. Like the fact that it was the symbol of like the protests against masks and it was the symbol for all lives matter and blue lives matter. It's like, it just, it screams racist to me. It screams colonizer. It screams, <laughs> I don't season my food. You know what I'm saying? So um, I don't want to celebrate 4th of July anymore. 4th of July is officially canceled. I'm tired of seeing the fucking 13 colonies flags everywhere in California when we're not a fucking 13th colony. Also, 4th of July is overrated. Fuck the fireworks. And thanks for coming to my TikTok. Okay, well, nobody really gives a fuck what you think, loser. And we're going to have the 4th of July. We're going to celebrate our independence. As I said, America is the greatest hunt country in the history of the world. And hey, if you don't like it, get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. Nobody will miss you. And I guarantee you, sweetheart, you fucking move overseas, you will be fucking begging to come back to the United States. What else do I have from the fucking wokesters? How about this one? Uh, this is uh, one where uh, a uh, white woman is being castigated for saying her she's an ally. Hey, it's not okay is to project your anger onto people who want to be allies. Then don't be an ally. Girl, your attitude is the definition of a white savior complex. If your allyship is so dependent on the fact that he and his people do not hurt your feelings, your commitment to his movement is not that strong to begin with. Listen, here's the thing about being an ally. The number one job you have as one is to defer to people with marginalized identities that you want to be an ally to. How his movement makes you feel does not matter. He doesn't have space for that. He doesn't have to make space for that. His page is not a negotiation table where you can come in and demand what's going to work for you. Expecting that he's going to engage in some sort of conversation about how you two can meet in the middle. No, the only term of negotiation that is acceptable in his own movement is that you meet him and his people where they are. They provide a direction, and if that makes you feel uncomfortable, that discomfort is yours and yours only to deal with. That's a radical concept of decentering yourself. He does not need your help that you will generously provide if he caters to you. Okay, you know what's funny is that I detected that was an Asian young lady. I detected a bit of an accent. So let me get this straight. So you're going to move from your very extremely homogenous Asian country and you're going to move to America and start lecturing the white women here about allyship and white privilege and all that nonsense. Get the fuck out of here. Stupid. What else? I have a few more. I have a bunch more of these, but uh, I'll save a few for later, but uh, when we wrap it up, but here's, uh, here's one more for now. And this is uh, somebody, this is another uh, young Asian woman. She's claiming to be a board-certified music therapist, whatever the fuck that is. And she is basically, uh, again, slamming white women. And again, let's, let's, let's not get twisted. This is racism against white people is what it is. Nobody wants to say that, but of course it is. Let's it's listen really to disturbing the number of white women who are within the health and wellness and therapy spaces who actively deny the system of white supremacy and the role that they play within it. I'm a music therapist. Uh, it's a predominantly 
white woman dominated field and the number of conversations that I've had with people who become extremely upset at being called in to examine their privilege is seriously disconcerting. These are the same people who state that they cannot possibly have any prejudice or bias because they work with people of color. And that makes no sense. How do you have these conversations with your clients? There is no such thing as cultural competency, only cultural humility. And we need to be humble when we are learning about our roles within this system. Examine your privilege. Okay, there you go. Examine your privilege. She knows a lot about it, right? Yeah. And, oh, here's the same chick. Based on my previous video about stop Asian hate, that some people are still a little confused about what the system of white supremacy is. So let's break it down. White supremacy is a systemic issue. It's a belief system that states there is a hierarchy of races with white people at the top. It's woven into the fabric of America and it pits minorities against each other in a race towards adjacency at the top. It's not blatant because these are unconscious bias that we've grown up with and learned. POC can definitely play into white supremacy and hold harmful beliefs about other minorities. We see this with anti-blackness in the Asian communities and anti-Asianists in the black communities. Calling out white supremacy is not about absolving individuals for their actions. But if we don't see the root cause for what it is, then we're never going to end racism. Okay, you know what? I don't give a shit what you say, lady. I just don't care. This is what you have to do. You don't argue with these people. You don't try to bring up facts and logic. You just don't. What you do is you point and laugh at them and then you move on. That's what you do. Okay, so please stop trying to debate them because it's just it's not worth it. And you're just it's never going to go anywhere. Okay, uh, let's see quickly. Let's do a few more stories here. A 24 year old Boston man stabbed a father of 12 rabbi outside a synagogue. And take one guess about why this is not a huge national story. I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm guessing it's because the name of the 24-year-old man is Khalid Ahwad. Yes, it is not a scary white supremacist at all. As a matter of fact, I read a stat where in 2019 there was like a total of 10 murders that they could ascribe to white supremacist actions. That is the same. This was done by the University of Maryland, and that was the same number of people killed by vending machines. I mean, that's a fucking weekend in Chicago by street gangs. And yet the Department of Homeland Security is fucking constantly yammering on and on and on. They said they said white supremacy is the biggest fucking threat in America today. Does that make any fucking sense at all knowing those numbers I just gave you? It's a freaking joke, dude. It is a freaking joke. As a matter of fact, they're at it. You remember when DHS uh, on January 20th, when Biden was supposed to take over, remember the Department of Homeland Security put out that bulletin saying, hey, we are all on high alert because we're we're hearing reports that white supremacists are going to storm the state capitals. You guys all remember that? And then absolutely nothing happened. Well, they're at it again. Now, DHS is warning white supremacists connected domestic terrorism is possible over the July 4th weekend. Wow, this is, this is very scary, you guys. Seriously, this is scary as hell. Yes, they said they will be on heightened alert looking for white supremacists looking to exploit states' rollback of COVID-19. Yep. They issued a National Terrorism Alert System Bulletin, which it said it will not release to the public at this time, but ABC News did obtain it. Yes, they said in recent, the, the bulletin, according to ABC News, says, quote, in recent weeks, domestic violent extremists motivated by various violent ideologies have continued to advocate violence and plan attacks. End quote. Wow, that's very scary. 
Yep. All right. And uh, yeah, I predict here, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and predict absolutely nothing will happen. Okay. Okay. Let's see here. Let's move on quickly because I'm starting to come down to it. Oh, I still got a little bit of time. How about this? Two pilots landed a 737 in water in the ocean off of Hawaii. They were forced to land a Boeing 737 cargo plane in the ocean off Hawaii early Friday morning. They were rescued. The pilots reported having engine trouble soon after they embarked on a 33-minute flight from Honolulu to Kahulai Airport. That is an airport on the island of Maui. They were trying to return to the airport in Honolulu when they were forced to fucking ditch at 1.30 in the morning local time. The Coast Guard sent a helicopter, and uh, amazingly enough, at uh, 2.30 a.m., they did spot the two pilots in the water, and they were rescued in five-foot seas. Both pilots were miraculously in good condition. How about that? Fucking lucky, dude. The Justice Department has paused federal executions after his predecessor had resumed them. This is Attorney General Merrick Garland. He imposed a moratorium on federal executions pending a review of the Justice Department's policies and procedures. This, of course, reverses the Trump administration's decision to resume executions of federal death row inmates after a nearly two-decade hiatus. They're fucking ridiculous. Yeah, so all our fucking murderers and terrorists, they'll, uh, they get to stay. The Justice Department under former... Attorney General William Barr began to execute federal death row inmates last summer, and they ultimately executed 13 people, more than three times the number of people put to death by the federal government in the previous six decades. What, is that, what does that tell you? Uh, that's horrible. For one, you know, who's still in, you know who's still in federal prison? Of course, Jazokar Sarnayev, the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing perpetrator. And he is on death row, and he has a death sentence, but the Supreme Court said in March it would review an appeals court's decision to overturn the death sentence. But should the Biden administration withdraw its support for the death penalty against Sarnayev, the Supreme Court case would then become moot. This is all just about getting rid of it. That's why the libs don't like it. California finally has a date for hapless, bumbling Governor Gavin Newsom's recall election. It will be held on September 14th. That is 75 days. Uh, let me see. Belay my last. That is 73 days away. And the soonest the county officials said they could manage to pull together a special election. And then this was uh, decided shortly after the California Secretary of State formally certified the recall petition. Mr. Newsom is widely expected to prevail, unfortunately. I would be shocked. Hey, on the other hand, the only fucking poll that matters is the one on election day, right? And the people who signed the recall form are highly motivated to show up. This is a special election, so there's no president on the ballot or anything, which means that turnout will probably be pretty low, so you never know. Do I have hope that he will be recalled? No. <laughs> unfortunately. But hey, you know, I, I will definitely be voting in the election, and I will definitely be voting to recall him for sure. But uh, I don't have a lot of hope because this is a big lib state, unfortunately. What else? 
Oh, uh, the Boy Scouts have agreed to $850 million in a settlement over abuse claims. This is an agreement on uh, that was reached this week with tens of thousands of people who said they were sexually abused by scout leaders or members over several decades. One lawyer who represents the largest group of claimants, about 16,800 claimants, God, said in a statement that the agreement would be the largest settlement of child sexual abuse claims in U.S. history. This is unbelievable. Uh, they said it's the tip of the iceberg. Uh, now, the total amount of sex abuse claims right now are 84,000. In February of 2020, the BSA, Boy Scouts of America, did file for bankruptcy protection. And they were are going to establish a trust to compensate these victims. Man. Just the, the predatory nature of what happened in this country. I mean, it's just happened worldwide. But I, I just look back at like, you know, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. And just this was looked at as no big deal. You guys, it really was not a big deal to people. Nobody believed the kids. Oh, hey, mom, the priest grabbed my crank. Oh, that's just Father Will. He's just like that. It was no fucking big deal. Fucking blows my... I'm still fucking absolutely astounded by it. I look at all the cases, like with the priests, with the school teachers, the coaches, the Boy Scouts, fucking Sandusky, right? Joe Paterno looking the other way as his assistant coach was fucking young boys in the team shower. That's absolutely insane. And meanwhile, the scouts enrollment, by the way, dropped 62% since just 2019. Uh, Now, in further legal news, the Trump organization was charged this week with running a 15-year scheme to help its executives evade taxes by compensating them with fringe benefits that were hidden from the authorities. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office accused a top executive, Alan Weisselberg, of avoiding taxes on $1.7 million in perks that should have been reported as income. So now they're totally throwing the book at this guy because they all want to get Trump, right? So they're charging him with grand larceny, tax fraud, other charges. And uh, they, they, they interviewed other attorneys about this. And they said they have never fucking even seen people charged on tax evasion for perks. Like, this is clearly uh, designed to get Trump. That's all it is. And they even say the indictment was thrown at him at Weisselberg because he's getting all kinds of pressure to offer information that could help the broader inquiry. Broader inquiry means get Trump. (laughs) That's what that means. Trump has not been charged at all. Weisselberg pleaded not guilty. And lawyers for the Trump administration called the case inappropriate and unjustified, saying it should just be resolved by civil tax authorities. Like, why can't he just pay a fine? But yes, they are charging Weisselberg for failing to pay taxes on leased Mercedes bonuses and a rent-free apartment. Uh, This could damage the Trump organization, of course. Um... What else about here? He's 73 years old, and he's remained loyal so far. And the Trump organization, here it is, said that criminal cases centered on fringe benefits are extremely rare. Indeed, and this is directly from the New York Times article, 
Indeed, lawyers with expertise in tax crimes told the Times they could think of no recent example of a similar case. The Trump Organization... The organization statement read, quote, The district attorney is bringing a criminal prosecution involving employee benefits that neither the IRS nor any other district attorney would ever think of bringing. This is not justice. This is politics, end quote. So, yeah, hard to, hard to believe otherwise, right? Uh, let's see. The justice has blocked a Florida law regulating those social media companies. Remember, they, they Ron DeSantis just signed that? That's the Florida law that would be the first in the nation to prohibit social media companies from barring political candidates. That legislation was signed by Governor Ron DeSantis in May, and it would fine companies like Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter if they permanently kicked off candidates from their platforms uh, who were running for office in Florida. And again, referring to what I said earlier, he, this judge said this might uh, violate the First Amendment. So the big tech companies get the First Amendment all they want, you guys. But the fucking baker, of which there are dozens, and the florist, of which there are dozens, they don't get First Amendment protection. But the social media companies, of which there are one Twitter and one Facebook, they get First Amendment protection. Again, lawyers, explain that to me. Explain how both of those things can be true. Uh, to see quickly the, uh, I mentioned the Miami building collapse earlier, uh, just quickly, the death toll right now is 24. Clearly there's not going to be any more survivors. Uh, they say they are going to demolish the rest of that Surfside com uh, condominium building because they are worried that the partially collapsed structure would not withstand the uh, powerful winds of an approaching tropical storm. That's tropical storm. Elsa is supposed to be coming in. And, uh, yeah, that's just, a, it's, it's, it's a delicate situation, right? Because you basically say publicly, like, yes, we're searching for victims, but you kind of privately say pretty much everybody's dead. This is a, as I said, like last week, I was like, this is a body recovery. And no survivors have been found since the day of the disaster more than a week ago. And they've had a hard time. We've talked about the weather, the fire that's been going on there. Rescue workers have found it really difficult to tunnel through the layers of flattened concrete without putting people in danger. And this rubble is so unstable that work was suspended for at least 12 hours on Thursday because of fears that it could collapse further. And then we have fucking Hurricane Elsa coming in. So just a, a, a brutal a brutal thing all, all around. And it's just a fucking tragedy. And, and at the end, this is going to be probably over 100 bodies. Uh, at least. So good on the rescue guys there. I know they're working hard and uh, doing the best they can. Facebook asked, speaking of social media companies, Facebook has been asking, are your friends becoming extremists? <laughs> if I was on Facebook, I'm sure I would have gotten this by now. Screenshots shared on Twitter showed a notice asking, quote, are you concerned that someone you know is becoming an extremist? End quote. Yep. They said this was only on its main platform and it's running only in the U.S. as a pilot for a global approach to prevent radicalization on their website. Just fucking mind your business. God, let people talk about what they want. Who cares? Remember that Texas soldier who shot the BLM protester, the Black Lives Matter protester? A U.S. Army soldier who shot and killed an armed protester driving into a Black Lives Matter demonstration in Texas last summer has been charged with murder. 
Sergeant Daniel Perry was indicted by a Travis County grand jury on charges of murder, aggravated assault, and deadly conduct in the July 25th, 2020 death of Garrett Foster in Austin. Perry, who was stationed at Fort Hood, remember, was working for a ride-sharing company. He had just dropped off a customer. He turned onto a street filled with people protesting. He stopped his car, honked. He got swarmed. And um, Perry encountered fucking... This goof, Foster, Garrett Foster, who was armed with an AK-47, 28-year-old Air Force veteran, by the way. Foster ended up dead of multiple gunshot wounds. And uh, this guy is saying, hey, this is fucking self-defense, dude. He fucking rose up and he put his barrel on me. And then I shot and killed him. You know what? This is fucking, this is, this is a more persecution by a woke district attorney. That's what this is. You fucking kidding me right That This guy fucking came, remember... Remember this famous clip that I paid, played on the podcast, you guys? Let's play. I do have the clip of Garrett Foster shortly before his dumbass was shot and killed. He was out on the street with his AK saying, Hey, anybody who doesn't like us is a bunch of pussies who won't do anything. Let's roll the tape. Oh, it's AK-47. Uh, why'd you got it out tonight? They don't let us march in the streets anymore, so i got to practice some, some of our rights. I think the, uh, I mean, if I use it against the cops, I'm dead. And I think all the people that hate us and, you know, want to say shit to us are too big of uh, pussies to stop and actually do anything about it. So, yeah. Why'd you start caring? Well, our roommate got arrested and they stopped letting us march anywhere, so started caring. All right, there you go. They're too big of pussies to do anything about it, said Garrett Foster shortly before he was fucking shot dead. This is going to be thrown out by a judge. It's, 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 it's fucking nuts. I saw the video multiple times. You can clearly see him pointing the AK-47 at the driver's side window. Quickly, Robinhood, the trading app, they uh, had their IPO. They revealed skyrocketing revenue and a loss of more than $1.4 billion in the first three months of this year. And they made these disclosures one day after saying they would pay a $70 million fine. That is the largest ever fine imposed by the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, known as FINRA, for misleading customers and harming them with outages. Remember that? When the fucking Robinhood app kept crashing and nobody could trade anything? So, they uh, are now getting ready to... Did they do the... Did they do the IPO? Oh, it did? Oh, no. Okay, so the IPO hasn't happened yet. They unveiled their IPO prospectus, which is when they have to do all the financial disclosure stuff. So it actually hasn't happened yet. So, yes, um, they restricted some trading after a swarm of investors grew the value of those so-called meme stocks like GameStop. You guys remember I did a long podcast about that. And that outraged many users, drew nearly 50 lawsuits, and led to protests. But, uh, you know, all publicity is good publicity, right? And they, uh, they wrote it uh, down. Uh, let's see. An Indian priest's wife has chopped off his penis after he said he wanted to marry again. Vakil Ahmad, 57, 
was allegedly attacked by his wife, Hazra, who used a kitchen knife to chop off his manhood while her husband was asleep. Jesus. Oh, man. You got to watch these women. Uh, let's see. I talked about Chicago crime a little bit earlier. Chicago saw its bloodiest weekend so far this year with a string of shootings that left at least 63 people injured and three dead. That's and Nobody gives a flying fuck about it. That's what kills me. Yep. From July, June 25th to June uh, 27th. On Sunday alone, there were three separate mass shootings in the city. And uh, they're doing good on there. And meanwhile in Chicago, I put this one on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual. A woman was stabbed to death in Chicago. The irony is she was a Maryland graduate student who was working towards her doctoral degree in criminology and criminal justice. That's right. She spent her fucking academic life arguing that the legal system was too tough on African Americans. Ironically, 31-year-old Anat Kimchi was walking in Chicago about 4 p.m. when a vagrant stabbed her in the back, murdering her. And guess what? He was African American. I mean, the irony. Yes, the victim was believe the uh, attacker was believed to be homeless. Okay, I promise you guys a few more videos, uh, video clips quickly. Here's one. Uh, apparently, a black man stood up at a meeting and said uh, it's offensive that people think he's dumb because he's black, as I've often talked about, and he's absolutely right. And then a white woman chimes in saying, "No, no, he's so dumb he doesn't realize he's being oppressed." Don't check me down. What oppressed me? I work for myself. I'm off the streets to where I am right now. You got where you are through your very hard work, but also through affirmative action. It's so funny how you're like, look at me, look at me. I was able to do everything even though I grew up on the streets. And yet you don't understand that the reason why you grew up on the streets is actually because of systemic racism. Ah. See, you got to where you are despite being black. Now, I can't speak yeah. from your experience because you're black. Obviously, I am not. But I am a woman. And I do understand that I have to work twice as hard as that man. And I got to be careful about how I say things because I'll just be a Karen. You don't even make as much as your white counterpart. What's it, 60 cents for every dollar? Someone you watch over could actually be making more than you. But yeah, pat yourself on the back, pal. Yeah, thank you, fucking white woman, for explaining to the African-American gentleman. I'm sure he's uh, very appreciative. Uh, here is a uh, woman saying working out to lose weight is fat phobia, and it's, it's not okay. Let's, let's if you decided to work out in order to change your body's appearance to avoid weight stigma, that is still fat phobia. Yes. Fat people can be fat phobic. Skinny people can be fat phobic. I am. I'm fat phobic, and it's no one's fault. We are conditioned to hate fat people. Yes. If that's why you started and that's why you're still going, then cool, great for you. Working out is still really good for you, no matter the reason. But I hope one day you learn to love fitness for the actual health benefits, like for your heart and your joints and your muscles, not just because you look a certain way. Dum uh, dum. Let me just correct you right there. Uh, having excess weight has been proved to have long-term detrimental effects on your health, dummy. Oh, oh, and by the way, fat phobia is also racist. Here's the same chick here. I think what's most scary is comments like these because people don't realize that fat phobia is rooted in racism and more specifically anti-blackness. When slavery became more widespread, it was hard to just rely on skin color as a way to identify slaves. Fatness as a physical descriptor fit the savage narrative that whites used to oppress black people. Obviously, a lot has changed since the 18th century. We know fatness is not specific to black people, and we've used that as an excuse to shape a societal beauty standard 
that is anti-fat. That includes yes. being thin. That includes yes. gaining muscle so you can look toned yes. and have less fat Correct. on your body. Correct. And what happens if you don't meet the standard of beauty? Then you're a fat you ass. face systemic oppression. You cannot always <laughs> determine health by your body's appearance. So yes, if you work out no, I can. strictly for appearance-based reasons, you are fat focused. Okay, okay. Yes, I can. I can determine. I can determine your basic level of fitness and health by looking at you. I can. I can. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got many more, you guys, but honestly, I'm starting around. Okay, one more. Here's one from a Canadian chick who says, uh, because of the indigenous grave thing that I've talked about extensively, uh, she will not be celebrating Canada Day, and how could you just celebrate this? It's horrible. Let's listen to this. Just so we're very, very clear, if you are currently angry, upset, sad, mourning with the indigenous community right now, but then turn around and have a little Canada Day party, dress up in your red and white, buy those little Canada Day dream catchers, I just wanted to remind you that that is performative activism. And you actually don't give a shit um, if you still actively participate in a holiday that celebrates a country that is built on the oppression and quite literally the bodies of indigenous people and other people of color. So okay. yeah, I just hope that indigenous lives are more important than drinking and partying with your friends. Please go drink and party with your friends. Do not listen to that very, very pasty white woman there. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, quickly, guys, starting around time. Let's uh, keep going to some headlines here. Um, the world's first elderly sex robot has been created by my favorite company, Real Doll. And this is an elderly male sex robot. I'm looking at the picture. Ah, the gray haired robot was made at the request of a customer. No. It's posted on the firm's Instagram account. So if you guys are on IG, go to Real Doll. And yes, uh, this is on a whole new level. Uh, the 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 quote reads: um, "Is Real Doll in San Diego, California?" Because I'm looking at a, a, a screenshot of the Instagram post, and it says "Real Doll, San Diego, California," and it's captioned: "Okay, we get daddy issues, but this might be a whole new level." That's great. They are working also, in addition to the old man custom job, they're also working on a male sex robot named Henry. And um, they're working on a bionic penis for Henry that will be able to become erect. <laughs> According to a magazine, Real Doll CEO Matt McMullen previously joked, quote, we're going to be working on some form of very epical insert for Henry so that he's able to lift trucks with his penis, end quote. Oh, good Lord. All right. Henry's going to have the schlong of the century here. Uh, let's see. Trevor Bauer, the uh, Dodgers pitcher, is in trouble. A woman allegedly assaulted by L.A. Dodgers pitcher Trevor Bauer visited a doctor with two black eyes and bruised lips, but Bauer's camp claim text messages show she did consent to rough sex. She's a 27-year-old. She says that Bauer choked her unconscious, sodomized her without consent, and punched her in the face, vagina, and elsewhere. Yeah, but there, there are, again, there's text messages. You know, and she went back for more than one thing. They met in person on April 18th, had consensual sex that the woman claimed turned violent, included anal sex she didn't consent to. But then guess what? They met a second time on May 15th. They had sex again in which he punched her after he choked her unconscious. And uh, yeah, they did 
New York Post revealed some of the text messages. And in one exchange on May 9th, so that was before the second one, she mentions Bauer choking her. And uh, he texted, you want to go out, huh? As far Meaning go out unconscious. And she said, see, that was a game changer. Tell me more, he writes. She said, never been turned on more in my life. Give me all the pain. Rawr. And, uh, yeah, and she said, uh, he, he said, God, you turned me on so much. Now I just want my arm around your neck from behind. And she replied, do it harder. She then shares an emoji blowing a kiss. <laughs> so, and then Bauer suspended by the Dodgers. I'm like, dude, okay. If you, would you go back ladies, help me out here. Help me understand. If after a first time a guy was like totally abusive to you in the sack, would you go back a second time if you weren't into it? Would you do that? I don't know. I don't, I'm just, I'm asking honestly. I, I wouldn't, but whatever. Quickly, some headlines. Man gets life in prison for molesting girlfriend's daughter trying to cover evidence with a bleach. That's right. He sexually battered his girlfriend's 10-year-old and then he poured bleach on her genitals to try to hide his... Uh, semen or whatever, and uh, then tossed her into a dumpster. A Torrington man. Where is that? I don't know. New Britain? I don't know where that is. This is from the Bristol Press. Jean LeConte, 33 years old, pleaded not guilty to charges of public indecency. He was seen on surveillance camera inside a Kohl's store, removing his genitals from his pants and pleasuring himself while inside the shoe department. An employee told police he saw LeConte remove a small plastic bottle from his pocket before applying what was inside to his penis. LeConte told police that the substance was cooking oil. No. Police who responded found stains on the floor. Officers could not determine if the substance was cooking oil or a bodily fluid. Oh, my God. That's no good. Um, let's see. Woman blackmailed man over sex photo after creating fake Facebook profile. Keep telling you guys. Sharon Jones received a video of a man pleasuring himself and threatened to send it to his friends and family unless she sent him uh, 1,000 pounds. I believe that's unless he sent her. That's a, uh, that's a typo. Yep. 45-year-old Sharon Jones. This is in the U.K., Guys, don't send chicks fucking videos of yourself jacking it. I keep telling you this. How many more times? How many more times? Oh, man. Marine guilty of involuntary manslaughter in that hazing death in Mali. You guys remember that? That was Army Green Beret Logan Melger. And, yes, Gunnery Sergeant Mario Madeira Rodriguez was found not guilty of felony murder. He still faces a maximum possible sentence of 27.5 years in prison because he was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. You guys remember this? Heavily covered here. I was in Mali when the two Navy SEALs and a Marine Raider conspired to humiliate Logan Melgar in 2017. Uh, so they wanted to break into Melger's room, tie him up, choke him out while filming the prank. Melger ends up dying from uh, strangulation. It's horrible. Fucking, they should all get life in prison, if not the death penalty. Another recon Marine was sentenced for stealing ammunition. It was on the, uh, it was over up at Camp Pendleton. Sergeant Gunner Naughton's duty was to oversee and safeguard the ammunition. And uh, he ended up uh, taking it and stealing it. 
He said he was pressured. And finally, you guys, I'm out of time. Here we go. Big finish. Yes, it fucking happened again. A 28-year-old man in India suffered severe intestinal damage when two of his friends allegedly inserted an air compressor pipe into his anus this week. Sandeep Kumar is undergoing treatment. His state, his condition is critical. Doctors have said a part of his small intestines and rectum have burst, and recovery could take up to six months. His friends, air quotes here, Ankit and Gautam have been arrested. They worked at a factory. He went to work, and uh, they said that Ankit and Gautam inserted an air compressor into Sandeep's anus and then hit the gas. He tried to run off. He started vomiting blood, and he was taken into the hospital. Unlike the other ones I've covered with each other, uh, he's still alive. But another witness is saying that the duo had an argument with Sandeep and they wanted to kill him. Yeah, this is not a prank, dude. But uh, they fucking are... This is, what is that, the fourth one I've done of these stories? Guys, there goes the iPad. I'm fucking tapped out. Oh, fuck, I'm smoked. Two and a half hours, you guys. No breaks, no editing. I'm the only guy capable of doing it. Everybody knows this. Please go to patreon.com. Look for BK Actual. Help keep the podcast going. I had a really good month in June. I'd love that to continue in July, you guys. It's the only way I can keep doing it. Buck or two a month, whatever you can afford. Guys, for all this entertainment, are you freaking kidding me? Let's get on it. Follow me on social media at Bravo Kilo Actual for my Twitter and at BK Actual on Instagram. And I'm going to get out and enjoy the Independence Day weekend. Thanks very much for listening, everyone, and I will see you next week. Thank you.